This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by Alex Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. The answer to the question yesterday, and Evan, excuse me, I want to start with this. I don't care. I do not care if the Patriots name a GM anymore. I, I, I couldn't care less. 22. You couldn't care less. Yeah, uh, na- name him whoever you want. I, I don't care. Elliot Wall's title can be whatever he wants it to be. We're gonna we're gonna talk about. I, some, I, I, we're I, gonna talk about some. Titles, we, we have right? the answer to who has final say. That's all I cared about. I don't need a fa- give him the fancy titles all you want. I have my answer. I'm good. We move on. Okay. We that, know who's calling the shots. That's fair. It's uh, Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Catch Twenty Two. Next two hours with you. Phone lines are open. Eight five five Pats five hundred. Web radio at patriots.com. We already have people from North Carolina emailing into all oh, the North to, Carolina to, people. Uh, this is a rivalry now. Me versus North Carolina. It's it's a deep rooted rivalry. And you, it it's so weird because like, only people from North Carolina are allowed to have an opinion about. Drake no, but Mayock. usually with this stuff, like take JJ McCarthy. Yeah. When I talk about JJ McCarthy, only people from Michigan are allowed no, to have opinions. But the about Michigan JJ fans foam at the mouth. How dare you insult my quarterback? Some of them will even say, I get he's not great, but I'm going to defend him because I root yeah. for Michigan. With Drake May, it's the opposite. That's crazy. Everybody else, like, maybe maybe there's something to that, where everybody else likes him, but the UNC fans keep calling them and be like, he's my quarterback. Let me talk about my quarterback. That's usually where the college football fans set up some insane excuse, and then they're like, yeah, he sucks. Well, we'll get to it, and we're also going to get to some wide receiver tiers. Some yep. tiers. I, I've made my way through... Uh, about 15 of these guys at this point. So I got, I've whittled it down to 10 or 11, right. actually 11. Uh, and I have tiers. Are we doing, are tiers. we doing uh, recency bias today? Too? We're doing recency bias. Right. We're doing tiers. Uh, Full on draft we're gonna, talk. We're going to do a lot of draft talk, but I do want to open uh, with the first public comments uh, for offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt yesterday. Uh, the team uh, put out a, a little teaser, a little minute, 30 second clip on, on social media on X of Alex Van Pelt talking about his offensive philosophy and his vision for the team on offense. And uh, we're going to dissect a couple of the quotes that he said. Uh, Alex, you wrote something about this on 98.5, just dissecting the quotes. But my my big picture takeaway, and this is ridiculous, by the way. I I understand that. That it's ridiculous that I have this much of a takeaway from a two-minute clip that we posted on Twitter. This kind of thing is new to us. But – but here's my big picture takeaway about this Alex Van Pelt clip. Finally, thank you for the love of God. Somebody in this organization is telling me how they're going to win a football game come next fall. Because so far, all we've heard is about mending bridges and silos and collaboration and all this, this, this corporate speak. This, this mumbo jumbo about how, you know, we're going to, we're going to, redefine the the chemistry or the the culture i guess is the better word in new england and there's a there's a place for all of that and i understand that coming off a four win season coming off of some of the things that we heard about how what it was like to play for bill belichick there's a place for that but the one thing that i could say for bill even in the end and i you know alex i disagreed about a lot of the direction of this organization under Bill Belichick in the end, the last couple of years. D 
defense, special teams, manage the game offensively. Like, that was their vision. And I hated it. I did. But they had a vision. They had a blueprint of this is how we are going to win football games. And until Alex Van Pelt released this video, the Patriots released this video with Alex Van Pelt, I have not heard a single person in this organization, internally, externally, that has told me, this is Patriots football now. This is what we're going to do. So Alex Van Pelt coming out and saying he still feels like running the ball wins championships. You know how I feel about running the football. Do it on your own time. But I think that there is good things that come from running the football when you're running it for a purpose. My issue is is that your purpose has to be the proper purpose, which is to generate explosive plays through play action. Right. If your goal which is Which is what he does. Or tries 100%. To do. If your goal is to run the football to milk clock and control the pace of the game and yeah, like do all that kind of stuff, then you know, like nineteen eighty four called and they want their yeah, strategy. You should never back. do that, especially not at the end of the Super Bowl. Okay. When you have a well, lead. We'll get to the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. But I didn't want to lead with the Super Bowl. Everybody's talking about the Super Bowl. I, I, I that I I you can you can leave that, right, for me. But the goal of running the ball to have that be what everything kind of branches off yeah. of in your offense. Perfectly fine. I don't mind that at all. At least it's a vision. At least it, this is how we are going to play offense with Alex Van Pelt. Thank you, Alex Van Pelt. Someone talks about football in this freaking building, and I, I'm excited about that. I am. I'm excited about some of the things that he said. Uh, what were your general takeaways? Because I'm uh, clearly more fired up about this than most people. So, but. football guy. First and foremost, football guy. Yeah, Not I, surprised I he's one of the first. I, I think you look at what he said, and it's just a one-minute video, and it's funny we're breaking this down, but to me, you, you break it down into four topics. He essentially touched on four topics. The first was he, he did do a little bit of the chemistry thing, yep. which, like, fine. That was one of the big selling points when they hired him. Remember, everybody in Cleveland was like, culture builder. Players love him. He gets the right attitude in the building. So he, I, I won't read the whole quote on that, but he talked about like getting to know the players and, and you know making sure everybody knows they're playing for each other fine. We'll whatever. play for each other first and foremost. The most important guy in the field is to your left and to your right. Good. Hell yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's so simple. That's my point, right? It's so simple. No one is asking you to show to bring out a a, a, a presentation on a on a projector screen and tell me exactly, you know, we're going to draft Drake may and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do No, that's, a, that's just a boilerplate. This is, we are going to play for each other. Thank you. Football guy. Um, he talked about his scheme. This was one of the ones I loved. Yeah. This is Van Pelt. I think a good coordinator does what's best for his players. I think a lot of guys will have a scheme that they understand and they have familiarity with as coordinators, but if it doesn't fit the player, then how good is the scheme really? So a good coordinator will often take the strengths of the players he has, play to their strengths, while at the same time being able to protect them from their weaknesses. Evan, I stood up. I stood up when I heard him say that. I wanted to. I didn't know if I wanted to shake his hand or run through a wall or run through a wall to I, shake his hand. <laughs> so we. How many times, Evan? In in. Let me backtrack. When the Patriots were at their peak, one of the things they were the best at. I mean, nobody did this at the level Bill Belichick did it was they would go find a guy. Yeah. And I always use Kyle Van Noy as an example of this because the Lions had no idea what they were doing with Kyle Van Noy. Drafted him, what was it, second round, third round. Patriots go out, they get him for nothing, and they're like, 
you can do this one specific thing really well. Like, we're going to put you on the edge, and you're going to have this, like, three these three responsibilities, and that's it. And he was really good at them. Yeah. And there's players like that sprinkled all over the dynasty where maybe big picture this guy isn't what other teams are looking for, but we are going to put him in a place to succeed that is going to elevate within our scheme, that is going to elevate his play, and it's going to elevate our football team. The last five years, the Patriots became one of the worst teams in the league at doing that. How many times, Evan, did they sign or draft a player that we got excited about and then the usage just never made any sense? I know people roll their eyes and just say Nikhil Harry was bad, but I go back to the Nikhil Harry thing where they're trying to turn him into this precise route runner yeah. at 6'3", 220 pounds. Would he have been a 1,000-yard receiver if they used him correctly? No, probably not, but they exacerbated the problem. And so... When I see Van, another one this year, Marty Mapu, right? You get all excited. You come in about him playing linebacker. Now he's like Never a rotational safety. It, I'm, but I'm not saying you were wrong. I'm saying that this is what right. they were doing. So, I, and now Van Pelt's only on offense, obviously. But I see this, and I say, all right. So he's going to have. His, I, I, I don't. And we were texting about this yesterday. And you said you want him running his system. Yeah, I don't love the idea. Not to cut you off, but just on that point, I, I don't love the idea of him trying to do something, be somebody that he's not, but, right? Like, I, I, but like I don't Matt Patricia is like the, ex, the extreme example yeah. of that. But it, in general, the idea of we're going to run an offense that nobody that we're, that's coaching it has any familiarity with or understanding But I don't of. think that's what he's saying. Because he says, like, you have your scheme. I think it's, for instance, the Detroit Lions, yeah. right? Were they using... David Montgomery in 2022 the same way they used Jameer Gibbs this year, or did they add levels to the playbook to maximize Jameer Gibbs' skill set? Like, I hear you. Right? I just think at the quarterback not, position in particular, I think you can do that, like, to your point with Jameer Gibbs and or, or, or with a skill player. It's a little bit different because they're not touching the ball on every single play. I think with quarterback play, it's difficult because – for the most part, guys are good at what they're good at at that spot. Yeah. And yeah, you can develop or and you can cha- you know, get better at certain things or if your weaknesses coming in are you know, XYZ, maybe you improve on those weaknesses and they become strengths down the road. But for the most part, these are your carrying traits. This is what got you here. This is why you're going to be good and that you have to amplify certain ways for different guys. But that's what he's saying he's going to do. Right, but what if my point is, my fear is, and I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm not like jumping off a bridge about it. I just, I think when you look at Alex Van Pelt's offense, yeah. it is a very specific type of way that they play football. We just talked about it. Yeah. Run the ball to set up play action, to set up bootleg action, to set up, uh, you know, third and manageables. Like those are the ways that they want to play. They're in an early down explosive team and when I say they I I really am talking about the Cleveland Browns but like third down is not a down for Cleveland over the last four years with Van Pelt as the OC where they're chucking it down the field they're in third and five a lot and they want to try to manage the game on third down first and second down is where they want to generate explosives so all those things are you know that I like that type of offense it's it's very Shanahan-esque like I like that type of offense but I just I worry about drafting let's say Jaden Daniels 
And then having somebody who's really a background in West Coast, under center, bootleg, you know, that type of stuff, yeah. then trying to implement a Lamar Jackson style well, so, offense. So some of that, I think, factors it. Like, I, I think if you extrapolate this quote, and again, it's only one minute. The whole thing's only one minute. Yeah. Bringing in players for roles that you have in mind, I think, is a part of this. You're not going to bring in a guy, and we've seen them do this as well, Evan, with no plan. And just bring this guy and be, yeah, hey, I'll figure it out when he gets here. That, right. Well, so that's what I think to your point yeah. of that's they've kind of run into that the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. That's my thing is that I would so much rather them target, stick, sticking with quarterback, yeah. target one of these, whether it's Jaden Daniels, Drake May, whoever, but just target one of these quarterbacks because you know concretely this is going to be the plan to maximize absolutely i so and and that's that's kind of how i read this quote is basically we're going to have a plan for all the players we have yeah we're not going to come in and ask guys to do things they can't do that's great and i i would think that means in terms of player acquisition you're not going to add players yeah just to put them in spots that they're not good in. So I, to me, though, I know we didn't explicitly say it. Maybe I'm reading too much into no, it. No, I mean, that's but a, I, I think those two go hand in hand. Basically, to me, what good. he's saying is because I think even with Josh McDaniels, I, I think there were times where Josh McDaniels was going to run Josh McDaniels' offense, and it was going to be what it was, and it was very rigid, and he was going to make it work with the players he had, rather than year to year making little adjustments to to change for personnel. Yeah, and what to me what Van Pelt's saying, and you know what I think is a perfect example of this, he got to the playoffs using five different quarterbacks. Yeah. Were they doing the same things for all five no, quarterbacks? It's the no. same general offense, but there's right. But ev- so here, but here's my point, yeah. right? Deshaun Watson is we can all agree more talented than Joe Flacco. Yeah, Joe Flacco was better in Cleveland's offense off his couch than Deshaun okay, Watson I, was. So because so, Joe Flacco just happened to fit what they were able to execute So I better. think we're, we're having two different discussions then because identifying the right guys is still paramount. Yeah. And, and I just don't want to get I'm too not far saying, away from that. Like, I don't yeah, want yeah, you to yeah. get stuck no, with it's a, somebody it's a different, and have to... So this is more a once the pieces are in place thing. Yeah. This is, a, like, they, they still need to ide- go out and identify the right guy and all of that. But I think something that in the last couple of years, they ran the offense they were going to run, period. And they were going to square peg round hole the players they had into roles in the offense that they had envisioned to me what this is is yeah you know what we're gonna I'm gonna take my core concepts and how do I use those core concepts to emphasize how explosive our tight end is or how fast Demario Douglas is or that our running back can do this and then next year if we have a different running back we're gonna tweak it a little bit because that guy's gonna have a slightly different skill set it'll still be in that same big picture you know using a lot of play action and this and that and the backside clear outs but it's you know, you, you you tweak the route tree a little bit. Maybe you're you're doing things a little different with the alignment of the formations. You can still have that core concept, but he basically sounds like I'm not married to specific play to play. You know, my ex receiver on these plays is going to run these routes exactly see, this way. See, I would rather him be that way. But, I would rather him be married to the scheme, and I would rather him get to Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh and say to them. This is what my ex receiver does, and then I'd rather them then go ahead and say these are the five ex receivers in the draft that do it. But but one that guy, they're still going to be they're not all going to be identical. But there's so many players available just inherently, yeah, in the in free agency, the draft, whatever. That if 
he says to Elliot Wolf, I need an X receiver that's more I don't need necessarily need the big play down the field yeah. X receiver. I need more of the possession guy. Let's move the chains. And Elliot Wolf can sit there and say, well, Michael Pittman Jr. is available in free agency, and he's a guy that caught 100 balls last year playing the X for the Colts, and this is what he's good at. He's not necessarily a burner down the field type of guy, but he can so move the I chain. guess like I would much rather them build the offense yeah. in his vision because they are starting from scratch. But my point, I guess my point is on top of that, like let's say Michael Pittman gets hurt. Are they going to throw Tyquan Thornton out there and have him do everything that they were asking Michael Pittman to do? and just bang their head against the wall? Or are they going to be like, all right, we don't have Michael Pittman available right now. How can we tweak this that we're not asking Tyquan Thornton to make contested catches? Yeah, kind of I, like, I, I hear you. I just, I, I, there, there's a fine line, and I agree with you in that they, there should be a— They have a clean canvas. Yeah, and there's, and there's nobody in this scheme that I'm looking at that I'm saying we need to build. A re- they don't have a good enough player. It, they, they I, sit, I, I, I agree with you on say, that. Like we need to build it this way because you know we just we have Marvin Harrison Jr. and he's we have to like amplify and maximize him. So to me, it's what is the Alex Van Pelt offense look like? Who are the players that fit that? Just not yeah. Don't put a name to it yet. Just in general, X receiver, Z receiver, running backs, tackles, quarterback, and then I want our scouting department to sit there and say. Here's a list. Then Alex Van Pelt, he goes and watches those players. He says, I I like these players. They take that into account. They come together. They make a pick, right? Like that. that's how I feel like it should run because you are starting from scratch. There is nothing to really. So, uh, yes, but. It's not like you have the quarterback and now you're trying to build. You're acting it. like every, like they can go out and get the guy they think is the closest to Amari Cooper, whoever that is this offseason. Yeah. But that guy's not going to be Amari Cooper. There are going to be little intricate differences to the game, and it's basically Fine, like, but can it, you adjust to that? I guess. I just, again, I the way that I would rather them do it yeah. is don't worry about the adjustments. Just put, you don't have anybody on the team. You don't have anybody. Yeah, so no, you're yeah. Not, you're not, there's nothing to like latch onto to say we need to build the offense this way because we have Nick Chubb or we have to build the offense this way because our offensive line is strength. They don't have any strengths. But they that's, don't have any okay, players that so, are game But you're changers. saying what I'm saying. Like, let's say, so th- their best players in Cleveland, like like Amari Cooper was, was better than David Njoku, right? Yeah, Joku, Cooper, Nick Chubb. But I'm saying, like, those like were their guys. how would you say he prioritized getting those guys the ball? Like, rank them. I would say that, you know, Njoku was like their big play receiver yeah. on, on first and second down. Cooper's kind of their chain moving outside guy on third down. That That's the way that they ran their offense. But I'm saying, like, because you're going to have to build this thing over a couple years. Yeah. Let's say you have a lot more confidence in the receiver than the tight end, however it ends up for this year. Can you? Can you skew it more? You're still doing the same things, and you're still asking for the same skill set, but can you skew it more towards the receiver than maybe it was like Njoku I, led them in catches yeah. last year? Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. It's not, It's it's not. well, you know, our wide receivers are best player, but I've run this through the tight end for years, so we're going to keep throwing to the tight end even if he sucks. Like, that's what I... It, it's more, I guess what I'm saying is, and this is a classic catch-22. Yeah, we're arguing argument. two different things, but... I, I think more what I'm saying is, is that... I don't want them to be caught in a position 
where they're sitting at three overall and they're stuck with Jaden Daniels and they say to themselves, we're, we have, when I say stuck, like, I don't mean like yeah. Jaden Daniels stinks. I just mean like, this is the player that's on the board that's available to them. And they just take that player and then just say, let's just throw bleep against the wall and try to figure it out. If right. They don't, like that, you, so that saying, I don't want if, that. If they don't believe if Van Pelt goes in and says, I can't win with this guy, it's just not going to work in my offense. Yes. You don't want them to just take him anyway. Correct. I would agree with that. But what I'm saying is, on a more micro level, can he make little tweaks here and there within his scheme to whichever players he ends up with? Because they're not going to be carbon copies of who he had in Cleveland. Can yeah. he make little tweaks within his scheme and not be stubborn in order to maximize the players? Because that's something the Patriots have not done the last five years. They've not maximized the skill sets. How many times, again, Evan, have we banged our head against the wall about why isn't this player doing this? Why isn't this player doing this? Why are they using him like this? I'm just looking for more. It's so like you get out to camp and you realize, hey, this guy's really good at this one specific route that he didn't run a lot in college. Let's build something in for that. Yeah. That's basically what I'm saying. I felt like the last couple of years, the Patriots wouldn't do that. They would just be like, this is what we have in mind for you to do, and you're just going to do it. They did. It's like they didn't look at the results. They were just like, this is what you're doing, and whether it works or not, we're just going to have you keep doing it because that's what we want you to do, where this Van Pelt quote to me is like, oh, hey, like you showed an ability to do this. Let's emphasize that more like hey this one thing isn't working perfect example and i know matt patricia's the the extreme yeah the freaking fake screen pump left turn back screen right and everybody was sitting on it they never went away from it for to me for van pelt this is basically like all right that's not working like, what else can we do like i'm not married to this being a core play of mine if it's not working is there some other way we can get the desired impact with something we have more success with. So uh, the way I took the quote... It's flexibility. That That's what it is I, to me. It's flexibility. Right. The way that I more took the quote, and I, I, I just... I think to me the biggest point is is just that it's it, it's a blank canvas anyways. Yeah. So you might as well just get the players that fit the scheme that, you, that he has foundationally run in the past. But I think that my bigger takeaway from the quote is if you have such a talented player... Yeah. We can continue with Jaden Daniels. Let's just say Jaden Daniels is so talented that if you are worth a damn as a coach in the NFL, you will make it work with a player that talented. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a good philosophy where it, how good of a coach, how good is the scheme? How good of a coach are you really if you can't take Lamar Jackson and turn him into a good player? Right. And I that I totally agree with. I just think that there's an element of it that you have to recognize that not everybody is Lamar Jackson. You know, and some of these guys are going to be a rung or two below that talent level. And I, I think that ultimately I would just much rather them build it out in the vision of this is how we're going to play offense, this is what we're going to do, than saying – we have to draft this guy because he's just so damn talented and we don't really have a plan for him. No, you, you need a plan for every draft. But let me ask you this. How similar would you say the Houston Texans offense was last year to the traditional Niners offense? Similar. Similar. Uh, but I think would that you they're, they're, again, like their core philosophies and their, their foundational staple right. elements were And you're same. not going to change that. But they definitely did things that are departures from the Shanahan offense that were specifically built into what C.J. Stroud does well. Probably. And they, they made yeah. adjustments to that offense to tailor to the quarterback. That's what I'm saying. And that's what good teams do. I've said this time and time again. The good teams support their quarterbacks. And that brings us to another quote from Van Pelt. 
Quarterback plays a big part of what I believe in. Shocker, he's a former NFL quarterback. Yeah. Quarterback plays a big part of what I believe in. Putting him in a position to be successful, and if you can make that guy be successful, oftentimes your offense is successful. So, remember at the beginning of 22, they were trying to make Mac Jones like Aaron Rodgers? Yes. This basically is like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. This is... I'm going so in the context that, of the that other was quote, my favorite quote of the whole thing. And and, and this I, I guess I think this is what I was trying to say, but I think he has this approach for all positions. Is and I think he's gonna stick to his core philosophy, but within that core foundation, I think foundation yeah. is a good word because you build off a of foundation. Yeah. Within that foundation, how can I maximize what my quarterback does best? And how can I minimize what he doesn't? And that I think in its core is a big part of the difference between teams that successfully develop quarterbacks and teams that don't. And that is such a welcome sign after they spent the last two years putting both of their quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, putting both of them through an absolute gauntlet for no reason whatsoever. To see Van Pelt say, yeah, no, we want to put our quarterback in a position to be successful. Yes. Yes. I, you also just want, and what I, I like most about the quote is that, yeah, right. Everything that you do organizationally moving forward should be about the quarterback. Yes. Offensively. And that doesn't mean what, the quarterback sucks. The playmakers around him. Like if you draft, you know, a certain quarterback, like a Drake Mage and whoever, they are going to want to play with certain types of receivers. Right. You're not going to put an inaccurate quarterback with, you know, a certain type of receiver. And I'm not saying either one of them are inaccurate. I'm yeah. just saying in general, if you have a quarterback, like I think Michael Penix is an easier example yeah. just because he's so cut and dry. If you have a quarterback that really needs to be in a vertically based passing offense and, right. he, and wants to amplify down the field accuracy and things like that, go get yourself some vertical route runners, you know, get right. some guys that can win down the field. You don't draft a guy like a Jacob Cowing who's just a, you know, yeah, you don't, five you don't, yards you don't draft guy. Wes Welker right, exactly. when, you, when you have Michael Penix, right? Like, that, and, that's the point. And we did this with Mac, and I'm just going to get ahead of it because people are going to say, oh, so the quarterback sucks. He needs to be propped up. That's every team. That's what every good team does. Yeah. The Baltimore Ravens offense is tailored to Lamar Jackson. The Buffalo Bills offense is tailored to Josh Allen. The Kansas City Chiefs, when they had an offense, was tailored to Patrick Mahomes. Now it's just Patrick Mahomes doing whatever, and there's nobody yeah. else. But back in the day, it was tailored to Patrick Mahomes. This is what every good team does. You baby the quarterback a little bit, especially when it comes to the scheme. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't say anything less about the quarterback. But smart teams put their quarterbacks in a position to succeed because Van Pelt said this, and he said it seriously. I thought he was being tongue-in-cheek because it's an objectively funny line and I think could be construed as a shot at the old regime. If you can make your quarterback successful, oftentimes your offense is successful. Yeah. 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 Yes. That is... The NFL in 2024. Uh, Thank God we have one football guy. The in last the quote. Just which, one guy that actually wants to talk some freaking ball. I also want to high five Alex Van Pelt for this one, mostly because I, I wish I could have seen your reaction when you first heard it. Oh, God. You know, I think running the football in this league wins games, wins championships. Being able yeah. to do that late in gotta, the season. Got to run the ball. Got to run the ball. I mean, you got to control the clock. Got to control the pace. Body blows out. No, but Evan, body blows. Evan, stop, stop. Revisionist history. We spent no, last. I'm we just, spent time I'm last kidding. week. Okay, we spent time last week talking about how one of his core philosophies is you run the ball to set up that play action. That's yes. where explosives come from. This could not as come of come of a surprise. Come as a surprise. I would say for a guy that's coached in Green Bay, for a guy that's coached in Cleveland, I 
he, I, you probably hate this concept, running the ball in the North. No, when you no, get late see, in the is, season, this, this is where you lose me. Twenty eighteen Patriots, Evan. Th- this is where you lose the, me. Twenty eighteen Patriots won the Super Bowl because Tom Brady went like a million for a million on third down in Kansas City. Okay, that's why the twenty eighteen Patriots won the Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Chargers did not want to tackle Sony Michelle that day, okay, and they did the not Los have Angeles a throw in the Chargers. ball. And they did not it have was a, a soft team running from L.A. There are times if you are going to win football games, playing in Cleveland, Wisconsin, Boston, Foxborough, New York, whatever. If you're going to win games late in the year... I just think that that is not... There's no factual evidence that that is true. There isn't. It's anecdotal. Like, you can sit there and say, oh, yeah, the 2018 Patriots ran the ball on the Los Angeles Chargers. Sure they did. They also went 3-for-3 on third down. The anecdotal evidence is for years, every year, people, when the first cold game, everybody asks the running backs and the defensive players, what's it like running the football in the cold? And the running backs always say, I love it because those guys don't want to hit. And the defensive guys always say it's harder to tackle in the cold. I think that's an old football cliche that's been drilled into I asked Ramondre Stevenson that last year. Yeah, because that's that's what they've been told since they were in Pop eh, Warner. But you don't think they want to seem tough you don't think one of these defensive guys would be like no it doesn't matter like no there is it, for a team like the New England Patriots late in the year you're, there's going to be one or two times where they're going to need to be able to run the football in order to win a game that's just that's that's how I, playing I, football up here I'm works. not as anti running the football as I come across mm. I'm anti running the football for those stupid old cliche reasons like, oh, we have to, you know, cold weather, got to run the ball. How many Got to control the clock. No, what you want to do, it, like, good teams run the football. There's no doubt about that. Like, you look at the the rushing leaders this past year, you know, you have Baltimore up there, you have Detroit up there, you have San Francisco up there. Like, there's no doubt about it that the good teams run the ball. Yeah. But the good teams run the ball for different reasons than what, like, Detroit plays in a dome. Like, they don't give a crap about yeah, running the ball Detroit. because of the weather. San Francisco plays in California. Do you think that they can, they, they're running the ball because it might get 20 degrees and, and it might have I'm to not, play I'm in cold weather? I'm not saying it's the only no. reason teams run the ball. I'm saying that, like, how many times during the dynasty would the Patriots play some bad team, but they had a good secondary Maybe and it was in up like here late in the year and it was cold and it was windy? It happened in the second part. Anyway. You can't be surprised that Alex Van Pelt wants to run No, the and I, I, I want him to w- run the football. I just want them to run the football for the right reasons. That's it. Like, the right reasons to run the ball. Why well, he's not he's not going to come out and say we want to run the ball to set up. I mean, that's it's not just about setting giving up it all away. play action, though. It's just, like, that's the, your basis of your foundational offense, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's just how you kind of marry everything up, and that's how third down fits into first okay, and second. He, he and all wasn't going to talk about all that in one minute. Clip. No, I'm not asking him to. Oh, okay. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to be a team that runs the football for the reasons that you're spelling out that they, uh, you know, the, the old reasons. I'm not saying that's all then, the reasons. Then you're I'm just score, saying that's part of it. Then you're going to score 17 points a I'm game. just saying that's part of it. I'm not – no, but there there are games – and this is an extreme example, the Buffalo win game. There is, there's one that's or two games one, a year where exactly it's one extreme example. There's nothing wrong with having that club in your bag. I'm not saying you go to it all the time. 60 degree wedge. No, oh, this is one thing that I hope that we we I can drill out of you someday. Never. It just this 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 old archaic antiquated Run way of the looking damn at football. Ball. All right. Uh, uh, one, speaking of which, Ramondre Stevens is going to be a great fit in this offense. It feels like. I hope so. I mean, look, I I think the biggest thing with Ramondre is. I don't think that he's totally not a fit for outside zone. Uh, obviously, outside zone traditionally is a speed back game, right? Because you have to be able to get the edge. Like that's you, your foundation is being able to threaten the edge. 
and that's obviously not his game. But I do think that he does a really good job of reading uh, the middle of the field and, you know, the, between the tackles, blocks, and the combos and things like that, where he can be a one-cut and up-the-field type of runner in an outside zone scheme. It's not – he's not Jameer Gibbs. He's not Raheem Mostert. You know, like he's yeah, not but- one of those guys, and that's fine. But they, I do think they are going to need one of those guys if they are going to be outside zone heavy. Not to say that Ramondre is not going to have a role in the offense because he certainly will. But otherwise, you, I think you are more gap heavy, which Cleveland has been the last couple of years. Like they, they haven't been at quite as outside zone bootleg. Like that hasn't been them the last year. Well, but I, because I don't, th- and and yeah, traditionally outside zone speed. But part of my basis in saying that is like, is Nick Chubb the fastest guy in the league? No, but Nick Chubb is m- definitely more explosive. Than oh, yeah, but I, I don't – I mean, I think it's – Nick Chubb's – I would say they're similar kinds of right, players. Well, Nick so Chubb's a better player, but – Not to get, like, too far into the weeds, but that's what yes, we, we do, do a little about. So there, there's wide zone, yeah. and then there's, like, mid zone, right? Yeah. So wide zone is truly your aim point is off tackle. Right. Like, you're trying to get outside the numbers and then cut it back up across the middle uh, – through the middle of the field when that is open. Mid zone is more like we're targeting the the hip of the tackle, right inside hip. Right, so we're we're gonna aim point right at like the C gap between the tight end and the tackle outside hip. Yes, yeah, and, and then we're gonna find that those crevices in the middle there. That I think is what more Ramondre is a fit for because you're not quite stretching it all the way out to the outside. If you want to be a stretch team, if you want to be like a wide zone stretch team, then you do need those track guys. Like that's where oh, yeah, but I, what I'm saying is like play. what they were having Nick Chubb do the last couple of years, I think is realistic. Yeah, I agree that that like those are all realistic assignments from Andre Stevenson. And then I'd like to see them pair him with a guy that's maybe more like a, a low four fours guy to do some of that other stuff. Yeah. Get a little thunder and lightning kind of thing. I, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, before we, we get into some of the draft stuff and take some of these calls and all that stuff, we see the phone lines. We're going to get you guys in one sec. I do want to talk briefly about the Super Bowl. Uh, we, we did watch the Super Bowl together. Yeah. And uh, it was it, it was a good time. Uh, I don't really want to talk too much of, uh, about, you know, I'm the sure you don't. And all that stuff. Oh, the commercials. Okay. But I will I, I will say this for Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I'm not going to defend him too hard today because I'm just over it. Uh, but that's why I think my biggest takeaway because I did watch it, the, their offensive film back yeah. just out of curiosity. I think my biggest takeaway is that I I might have been wrong about one thing, and this isn't about Kyle. This is just more like a general okay. thing about okay. football. I might have been wrong about one thing, and that is the Niners got taken to school on third down by Steve, Steve Spagnuolo. Yes, and a big reason why they did is because the quarterback in Kyle Shanahan's offense and in that offense, and maybe this is a Brock Purdy thing, which I'm more than happy to pile Well, you were ripping there. Brock Purdy all oh, night. Oh, God, he's horrible. Uh, but maybe maybe that was, this was a Brock Purdy thing. Uh, and when I say it's a Brock Purdy thing, I don't mean he, because he stinks. I mean because he's a second-year quarterback. Yeah. So they don't give any controls at the line of scrimmage to the quarterback in terms of protections yeah. and things like that. So they come to the line of scrimmage. The center handles all those calls. So what was happening was is that they would slide the protection and they were getting it wrong the whole time. You know, Spags is is disguising blitz, obviously, but there was multiple times in this game where the Niners had the numbers to pick up a blitz, but they didn't have their people pointed in the right direction. And I think a big part of the problem for this Kyle Shanahan offense is that they are 
kind of a do what you do type of offense. Like this is what we're good at. This is the yeah. scheme. This is what we're we're you know capable of doing. And there isn't enough of that at the line of scrimmage type of stuff. So I guess where what I'm saying is is that I've been a proponent of they the Patriots need to take stuff off the quarterback's plate. There's too much on the yeah. quarterback. But this is the extreme where you see that when you get into a, a defensive chess match with a really good defensive coordinator like Spags, this is where it can hurt you. And so there's got to be, if you're Kyle Shanahan and the Niners moving forward and for the Patriots and all that, you know, spinning it always to New England, there has to be a middle ground of it's all on the quarterback to set everything and see everything pre-snap and none of it is because Purdy is just sitting there. Trent McDuffie is coming through unblocked on a blitz on the big third down late in the game. And he's just, a, he, he has no idea it's coming because in his head, he's not really thinking about the protection, right? He's right. not thinking he's about the expecting rush. It to be there. He's reading the coverage shell. He's looking at what they're supposed to be able to do. And he's expecting his center to be able to handle it. And I, I think there has to be a little bit more of a balance there. I wouldn't go to the quite the extreme of let's give it all to David Andrews and let's forget about the quarterback having any control. The quarterback right. has to have some semblance of awareness of what's going on in the protection. And if in, in in defense of Brock Purdy and quarter the quarterback in that situation, there's so much going on at the line of scrimmage and you have such little time. If you're not in charge with setting that, it's easy to see why you wouldn't think about that. Right. So I do think just for the mental exercise of it, I I, I I've been getting tweets. People want me to to take you to town on this. I'll just say this: take me to town because he lost to Patrick Mahomes in overtime. He is now. As a coordinator and head coach, as a play caller, zero and three in Super Bowls in which he has a double digit okay, lead. Okay, but that's not one, a coincidence. No, this is this is so ridiculous. That's not a coincidence. He Evan. was up ten to nothing in the first quarter. Okay, it's a completely different game. So I'll speak. It's not. He didn't blow a I will speak to your language lead. here. I will speak your language here. In all three of those games, his team's winning per, like projected win percentage. Okay, was eighty eight percent or higher. With less than ten minutes I'm sorry, to go in the game, I'm not. I'm not holding it against him. Like a ten nothing lead against Patrick Mahomes is not the same okay. as a ten nothing lead in in a different game. Hit the, win, like, the, the, the I'm using your language. I'm talking about the math, no, Evan. No, you're not. No, you're not. What do you mean? I'm not. No, you're 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 trying to this the whole come up with a different argument. The double digit thing is ridiculous in this game. That's okay. That's, so I just gave you win percentage they were, less it was than ten, 10 minutes to, to go. It was ten to three at halftime. I just gave you win percentage less than ten minutes to go. All right, fine. How about this? Offensive genius, Kyle Shanahan, right? Yes. Couldn't score more than 19 points in regulation? Well, it's a very good defense. He scored two more points in regulation against the Chiefs than the Patriots did this year. I just really hope that for Kyle Shanahan's sake, I just really hope that he finds a way to get his Matthew Stafford. Like, get a quarterback... You, it, it he is, had that it, chance, and he said, no, thank okay. you. I'm going to trade up for Trey Lance. It is extremely difficult to go into a game with that sizable of a gap at the quarterback battle, the quarterback matchup, and expect to but win. He was doing it all and year. And he was really, really darn close. But he was doing it all year. He was winning with Brock Purdy all year. But the they problem really, is when you get to the big game. Especially the first game, two games in the playoffs in spite of Brock Purdy. When like, you get to the big game, he tra- he's done it in an NFC championship, too. He did it against the Rams. He had a late double-digit lead against the Rams and lost in I just told you the, whatever year that was. He needs to be more flexible on offense. Needs to be. He need which I've been telling you for a long time because that's what that's what the math does. 
the math doesn't allow you to be flexible. I don't know about that. I just think that their scheme. Yes, I think they're really, really confident in their scheme. They really believe in what they do offensively. I think the third down and overtime is a great he, example. They had a play call to pop the center on a it, on a cover zero blitz. Like it, it made no sense. Okay, but here's right. So like you have to go to because, the line of scrimmage because and I've see said these this. Things. I've I've said this to you. The, his nose is so deep in the spreadsheet and in the play sheet, that and that's he why loses I don't track think, of what's going on in the game. I don't maybe, but I just I don't and think that he's I found think, the right quarterback because. Evan, he in in the 18, will, in eighteen he had, an MV, he had the MVP. It, Alex, a quarterback will get to the line of scrimmage and see this is play that we have called is not going to work. But you just this said defense. that he's not allowed to check out of that. I, I and I think that that has comes with trust from the quarterback position, and may, maybe it does. Maybe he does need to lessen. Matt the, Ryan the was a league a MVP. Bit. He was a veteran quarterback in twenty eighteen. He does not check out. Okay, with Dante uh, Hightower, twenty eight to three. Alex was like such a ridiculous anomaly. Like it's such a. But weird it's not game. an anomaly when it's now happened three times, it and that was the worst one. Times. But four times in these big games, he has continually blown big. Leads. His a ten to nothing lead in the point, first quarter to Patrick Mahomes is not at a, big a certain lead. point. Okay, but he only was, scored nineteen points in the game. It was a one-score game at halftime. You're acting like they were up by three touchdowns. Why did he only score nineteen points in regulation? If he's this offensive genius, why they did, faced a really good Chiefs defense. Two more points is Kyle uh, Shanahan. You're not even only, coming at the argument correctly. I am. No, you're not. I you're, am. You're, you're making shit up. You're talking about shit that doesn't matter. No, because he. I just laid out why they lost the game. They lost the game because he got too cute in his own offense. Yes, he, he's too married to the. Way but what that I'm they saying is, you're acting That's like why he they did lost it. The game. You're acting like he just did it this one time. That's what's happened every time they've blown these leads. It's because Kyle Shanahan gets too cute in his own offense and stops scoring points. It's what happened in 18. But they didn't stop, stop scoring points. They, they they had a touchdown drive in the fourth scored, quarter to go up. They kicked a field goal and then they kicked another field goal in overtime. They scored. They situationally. Evan. They, screwed the pooch. They scored, no doubt about right. it. Right. They scored two more points in regulation against the Chiefs than the Patriots did this year. Oh, that's such a bad argument. Why? Because it's a different game. It's a different game. It's a big they game. Play, it was in, a defensive game. These guys game. that we talk about. Here's you, how, how we were talking at, at, at different points in this game that, that the kicker might be the MVP. Yeah. Okay. It was a different game. You can't, but it didn't you can't just say, okay. But so if the, Kyle the, the, Shanahan is this great offensive genius, why was it that kind of game? That's my point. They played and a really you good know defense where I'm at with, a really good I, defensive I, I, I'm not sitting here saying that Kyle Shanahan should never coach in the NFL again. I think people confuse my Kyle Shanahan take with like my Brandon Staley take or my Adam Gaze take. This is different. Kyle Shanahan is a good offensive mind, but there's a difference between being a coordinator and a head coach. And this is the problem with Kyle Shanahan. They come out in the second half. Pass, 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 punt. Pass, 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 punt. Pass, pass, that's, pass, punt. That's also just not true. Like you, On like the, the third and the, five. The abandon the run thing. Oh, God, I hate Tony On Romo. On the third and five. Tony Romo sucks I don't like Tony Romo. Either. I don't even remember what he said about it. Because he said that they started to abandon the run. They which did. Was, they did not. They did All not right, abandon how about the, the run. Third and five they ran at, the ball 20 times the in the second half. The third and five at the end of regulation. They had a chance. You either run the ball or you call a screen or something. The Chiefs were burning timeouts. You knew one way or the other. You were about to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with a chance to either tie or win the game. And they call that low. They they take their fourth receiver 
lined up with the other team's best corner, and they call a one-read throw. If you hand the ball to Christian McCaffrey or you call a screen or a very high percentage pass in that situation, the Chiefs have to burn another timeout. one-read throw? The, the slant to Ayuk on the third and five. They So they threw it to an all-pro receiver, and that's supposed to be this like horrible play call. Oh, you mean the, the Trent McDuffie the, blitz where the, he didn't pick no, it up? No, that's in overtime. No, Trent no McDuffie, that wasn't in overtime. That was in the end of the Trent game. Trent McDuffie broke up the pass, so it wasn't that play. Yes, it was. He blitzed, and he broke up the pass. He blighted the pass down. No, because it was broken up at the catch point. I don't know which play you're talking about. It was the, the third and five <laughs> on the before they kicked the field goal to go up 19-16. Anyway, the point being, whatever you want to say there, the primary objective in that situation needs to be to make the Chiefs burn another timeout or burn another 40 seconds. Why? It has to be because you cannot give the what, ball why back is, Why are you Patrick? so obsessed with the clock? Be, Try to score points and win the damn game. Like what? What? What's the point? I like this is because you the, just the said clock you because Evan, just you like just said you just said it's a different kind of game. At that point, it had been established that it was a different kind of game, and in that kind of game, you do not give the ball back to that guy with that much time on the clock. Your primary same thing with overtime. I, we haven't even got overtime yet. I, I would really enjoy to actually score in a football game instead of worry about. I would I have do, but to Kyle play. But Kyle Shanahan decided I'm going to run what I want to run regardless regardless of whether it's scoring or not. So it had be as you said, it had become that kind of game. It was well established at that point it was that kind of game. You cannot this give the this, ball back to Patrick Mahomes in that situation. Below. That I'm making. This I'm, is just. Uh, like what this, are you talking about? This is, you want to exactly give the ball back what to, everybody makes it about, and this is what because pisses me they're off. right. We, we don't even argue about the right things. You. This is what everybody makes this about with with these types of All games. All right, talk to me about these, overtime. These aren't even. Talk to me about overtime. Okay, overtime. I see both sides of the logic. I really do. I, I think that at the end of the day, you probably want to uh, want to the ball second. But I think the reason why you want the ball second is because teams like the Chiefs, teams like, should be like the 49ers, yeah. are going to go for two. So it, it, even if you score that touchdown, I think that the Chiefs were going to go down, score yeah, a touchdown, and go for two. To, yeah. So that that point, you know, playing for the third possession in theory makes sense, but there might not be a third possession. So, you but that's it. That's it. That that's that's the whole thing. There's one good argument I've heard, Evan, for taking the ball second. Yes, or taking the ball first, and that is the defense had just been on the field when Mahomes was yes. went down, but Shanahan doesn't get the benefit of the doubt on that because he said after the game he listened to the nerds and the nerds told him to take the ball and you can the the third possession is not guaranteed in the NFL you cannot bank on something that is not guaranteed that's not the way the sport works you cannot go out there and say we are going to give Patrick Mahomes the ball second that is such a mind-blowingly I'm not going to necessarily rip the the math specifically for this surprise surprise but to quote Felger because he's right about this if you're going to have the nerds, you'd better have the best nerds. And all, after hearing Shanahan say that, I'll tell you this. The 49ers do not have the best nerds. Oh, no. Their nerds are terrible. Their, their roster is just stacked. And they, you know, it's different. The it's, Bowl, it's a different. But, but terrible. What does the stacked roster mean if you choke and puke all over yourself in the biggest game? Okay. All right. Choke and puke all over yourself is a, is a massive exaggeration of what happened in that game. You can't. They literally lost the game. We just in talked overtime. about. We just talked about this. All over we just talked about this with Van Pelt. You can't. It doesn't matter who the players are all, if you're not using all, them correctly. All of and this, if you're not game all planning this correctly. Overtime decisions. 
all of these clock management decisions. They lost the game on third down. It's that simple. They lost the game on third down when they had the ball on third down at the end of regulation and in overtime. They had two big third downs in scoring territory, and they didn't pick up either of them. But that's why they lost the game. If you're not getting the third downs, and this goes to the one in regulation, at least make sure you keep the clock running. This is my point. These are things good coaches consider. I I, I just – the, the, the complete the least disregard the clock, so, for the clock. So it's third and four, right? Yeah. With like three minutes to go. Yeah. And everybody wants him to hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey. Or call that, a, that, a screen. or what, if, what, Kyle Shanahan, if Kyle Shanahan is this absolutely generational He called play a play designer. to try to pick up the first down. Oh my! He didn't call a play to fit, set up fourth and two it, but, just to run But clock. the way we talk about him, here's my point. Because, again, I, I, it's not that he's a bad coach. He's fine, but he's overrated. Because if he is this offensive genius, if he is revolutionizing the NFL, that guy with the championship on the line doesn't have a four-yard play that also ensures the clock continues to run. He doesn't have some sort of end around or some sort of screen or some sort of something that's like a very high percent completion They called play. a high percentage play. They called a high percentage play. They didn't block it correctly. Like that, that's, that was the bottom line of all the issues that they had. They didn't block things correctly. It's third down in overtime, third and you know one of those four point plays in overtime at the end of the game, and they leave Chris Jones unblocked. They weren't blocking correctly. The overtime one was just—I mean—that was brutal that, execution. Like, I'm with you on that. That's the Chris why. Jones one. That's why they lost. They lost because Trent McDuffie came through unblocked on a key third down late in the game in the fourth quarter. Chris Jones was unblocked in overtime. Like those are the reasons why they lost. They didn't have their ducks in a row. They didn't have hat on the hat. They weren't lined correctly offensively. And that's why they lost. They didn't lose because of all this mumbo jumbo about the fact that they called a play that stopped the clock. Or, but, they, right. like, or they didn't take the ball in overtime. To go whatever. back to your point, and this is what he did with Jimmy G last time too. Why are, You can't block it. You know your quarterback, who is not very good, is struggling with this. Why are you putting the ball in his hand when it matters the most? I don't want to go back to that Super Bowl because I don't remember it well enough to go back all the way to that Super Bowl. The only thing they were, I remember, they were up two touchdowns and Shanahan comes out throwing the, deep with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's all you need to know. And he missed a wide open receiver in the end zone. But why? <laughs> so. Okay, but that's who Jimmy Garoppolo is. You know that's your quarterback. Why are you asking him to do that in that situation? I just I, I for think style all, points. All of these things again. If you if people brought the legitimate reasons to the table of why the 49ers lost this football game, I would be all for taking Kyle to task and saying that he did these things wrong. But people make it about stuff that is just not how why they lost the game. It's not. It's the, Evan, like their, their, their situational play calling wasn't why they lost the game. They lost the game because the players on the be, field it can be multiple didn't, things. didn't point out the mic points correctly or whatever the hell they – however they they run their protection system. So the, That's why they lost the game. As a coach, Spagnuolo to, took them to school on third down. That's to, why to they lost. To your first point about they just do what they do. Yes. They're too, they're too basic they're, in that category. It, but, but the two things are related because if what you're doing is not working, you need to have a plan B. And that's the point. Yes, Shanahan didn't have a that. plan B, and what happened because of him not having a – the plan B in that situation is just calling something to manage the clock. We can't get this block. Why? We're not in a good – Why because, uh, plan? Why would plan B be to worry about the clock? 
I don't understand that. Your your goal is to pick up the first down. That's the goal. That's because the you need to have goal. a recognition that, or maybe it's not specifically to manage the clock, but you need to have a recognition that the most overrated thing in football commentary right now is clock management. That's it is the most overrated thing. Evan, the game I, I ends. Just, the, the game ends. Whichever team is winning at the end of the game, it makes um, sense to manage that. The goal of the game is to score points and to have more points at the end of the game than the other guy. It's not to worry about the freaking clock, okay? But you it, just it said just, to have more points at the end of the game. Like, the clock dictates the end of the game. We don't just decide. This isn't soccer where, oh all right, God. we're going to play a couple more minutes because things are interesting. You you just – it's, it's I, I, I – we spend as as – analysts of football yeah it's football cognoscenti in the media we spend so much more time worrying about clock management than people in the league do so much more time no one like i guarantee it that no one cares more about oh they blew this situation with clock management that than than football writers evan nobody the, the best coach of all time spent hours and hours and hours in the building we're sitting in going over this stuff and it he made went a over situational stuff that's clock cl- managing the clocks. The situation. He didn't late he didn't game look at it and late say, game execution. The situation. Five. Our our odds of picking up a first down by handing it off are like ten percent. But we're gonna do it because we're gonna run the clock, even though we're losing. They call the game. a screen or something like that, where you know you're gonna complete the. There's ways to. We're gonna argue in circles about. There's this. ways to manage the clock and also pick up the first down. They're not mutually exclusive. The clock I w- I matters. Would, when when people in when people talk about the clock like this yeah and clock management i think that people in actual football people coaches around the league people around the league laugh at how much time we spend on this not the good ones it shanahan might do you think not the good ones so you think andy reed cares this much because andy reed was kyle shanahan before kyle shanahan and what changed he got significant among other things what changed he got got patrick Patrick mahomes but that's what changed but even even back he was managing games the same exact way even back no but even back to late era alex smith he was better with the clock than he no, was he in Philly. Wasn't. Yeah, he was. At no, the he very wasn't. end, he was the better. Difference, the drive, the drive here in whatever and was going 15. out and winning the game is so much more important than the clock. But they're one. They're they're not two different things. Yes, they are. The, yes, they are. The calling is, plays to worry about the clock versus calling plays to win the game. The game, are two game is different played things. in the context of the clock. The game is you can't deny that the game is played in the context of the clock. Well, you spend you spend all your you spend all your time worrying about the clock. I'll spend time scoring points, and then you get the ball back. Two minutes to go. Two minutes to go at the end of the first half. Why aren't teams just like running the ball and huddling up and and of course? But that's that that's that's not what I'm talking about. But it is. But that's the same thing. You change your approach to the game. You have to change your fundamental approach based on where, among many other things, based on where the clock is. Why do why don't baseball teams throw their closer out in the sixth inning? Why why do we spend so much time on these things? Because it's what because it made a difference in the game. If it hadn't made a difference in the game, we wouldn't be talking about it. It really didn't. Four times now. What made a difference in the game was that they didn't pick up third down in key situations. That's what made. Why was it a key situation? Situation, Evan. Why was that it was one a late key in the game? And what dictates it being late in the game? Okay, there you go. There's your your clock. Like this, it's so crazy that this is what we care so much about. I think it's crazy. And you don't think the clock matters in football? I didn't say it doesn't matter. I said that it's secondary to things that matter more. Evan's sitting up there in a press box. Like, where's everybody going? It's halftime. How'd you guys? Know I'm going to start taking they calls just because you're just talking gibberish now. You're being ridiculous. All right, uh, Isaac is in New York. What's up, Isaac? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. How are you? 
Good. Um, so I just wanted to clarify something quick. So, Alex, do you think Shanahan would be better off as a coordinator than a head coach? Uh, I think that I, I think that the things he's good at translate more to being a coordinator than as a head coach. Okay, I can see where you're coming from with that. But, um, and he's not. There's a lot of coaches it. like that. He's not alone in that because he doesn't okay. care enough about the um, clock, Isaac. Yeah. So my uh, question was um, a special teams question. So I was just wondering how many of you, uh, like, I guess you would say, Bills guys, do you see being brought back? Like, um, like I'm talking Brandon Schooler, Cody Davis. And even Chad Ryland, just because I feel like we could use some of the roster spots for some younger developmental players, um, especially if like special teams isn't prioritized as much in Mayo's uh, modern vision. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for the call, Isaac. I, I I don't think that those special teams guys are going to be as – I don't think they're going to have as many special teams guys as they've had in the past. I think that goes without saying. I mean, Chad Ryland's the kicker, so that you have to have a kicker. Like you're not, That doesn't necessarily count. But the Brennan Schoolers of the world, the Cody Davises, like those types of players, the Chris Boards, I think those guys, will they will have fewer of them with Gerard Mayo. And I, I do think that they're going to look at those as opportunities to give some of their younger players opportunities to play. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't think having no special teams guys is the right answer because I think you want a couple of guys. No, like, like, if you, like if you have a Matthew Slater, then that's, yeah. that's one thing. But, but like, you don't need five of them or six they, of them. Was or, it was seven last year. Yeah, right? it's a ridiculous like, like Two. I think two, maybe three is a fair number. But like yeah. you said, it's also a good chance to get some younger players on the field and get them reps who maybe aren't like what uh, a mere speed probably should have been last year. Yeah. Right. Where he right. was playing special teams. But like, can you give him some reps at corner two things yeah. like that? Yep. Um, they'll have guys that are primarily on special teams. I think they'll have more guys like Brandon Bolden who are primarily on special teams. But like if you needed a running back, you throw Brandon Bolden in there. He'd be, he'd be fine. I think it's going to be more guys like that. Yeah. I, I could agree with that. All right. Kendall is in North Carolina. Here we go. Here we go, Kendall. What do you got? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Good. Hey. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I'm a big uh, AD mentor guy, Evan. I seen your post yesterday on Twitter about him. Um, do you think he would be there in the second round? Uh, Whenever we pick at 34, I think. Yeah, it's it's a good question, Kendall. I thought he was calling for something else when I saw North Carolina on the board. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Kendall. I I am a big fan of AD Mitchell. I, I I love guys that have size like he does. And I know he's not the heaviest player, but he's like six three, six four. Yeah, I mean he's like what two ten, I think. He's like two. He's like two hundred. I think he will be like two hundred five, two ten by the time he's done. Okay. You know, in an NFL yeah, that's good size. Strength conditioning. I love guys that are six three, six four, but move like smaller players. Like yeah, that, that and I, he's not the fastest it's the guy. Whole Texas offense. He's not a burner. <laughs> like he's not. He's right. not a down the field vertical burner type. Uh, but the way that he runs routes and the way that he can sink and break down and make cuts at the top of routes, set up angles, leverage things like that. That those are the types of guys that I really like for that type of spot. Uh, his game is, is probably. I I think he's probably a high second round pick. I in in this draft just because you have so many receivers at the top of the draft that are going to start to push guys down the board a little bit. It, could he sneak into the late first round? Obviously he could like, I, he yeah. knows, but it, I just look at it and say that there's probably going to be a run. Uh, and we're going to get to the, the tiers here in the second hour. There's probably going to be a run of Keon Coleman, AD Mitchell, Xavier, Xavier worthy, Troy Franklin. Yeah. That are all going to go at some point. Last year it was like the mid twenties, right? Yeah. All those two guys started to go, so maybe it is, ends up being a little bit earlier. But I, I like I said, I love guys like Ad Mitchell that run routes, 
but are bigger receivers. Like that, it, it really makes up for a lot of things. In my so mind. AD Mitchell is what I call a top forty pick, which is basically like if he's not a first round pick, it's you know right away on day two. That's yeah. kind of where I have it. Yeah, most of the guys you just said I would call top forty picks. Some of them will go late first, some of them will go early second, and I think it's. It's a flavor thing there. We're like they're all very comparable prospects. Yeah. It's just what are you? You know, if you're if you're drafting uh, Troy Franklin, or you're drafting Eddie Mitchell. Like you're just you're looking for two completely different players. Right. Agreed. It's not about which one's better. It's about what you what you're trying to add to your team. Yep. Uh, Jay is in Arkansas. What's up, Jay? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, hey just a few few quick points for you. But just first of all, just want to let you guys know I appreciate the. Uh, level-headedness you guys approach things with. Uh, Thank you. You know, how it, some of the day-to-day craziness in the local market there. I just appreciate your uh, your approach to things. So, anyway. Thank you. A um, couple things on on draft, because uh, I guess that's where we're focusing our attention on now. On Jaden Daniels, would, would love to hear you guys talk about, uh, Evan, I've seen some of your analysis already. Um, surely we won't get or see him get knocked much for the the frame the slight frame um you know it's funny how in draft season every year you know that guy stood up to two full seasons of sec play going against defenses like a&m alabama uh florida um you know loaded with nfl players and he took plenty of hits surely that's not going to be a thing but would love to hear you guys talk about that although i wonder by the time the draft rolls around if Drake May will be the, uh, or excuse me, Daniels will be the consensus number two guy anyway. But uh, And then on the draft, in the Patriots draft position, um, don't you guys think with that second-round pick, in order to get a tackle that really has a chance of stepping in next year and being a legit uh, you know, shot at at least competing for a starting job right away, don't you think we got to go tackle there? And with the depth at wide receiver, just take advantage of that and and go wide receiver later on. Um, and last thing, I'd love to hear you guys. You guys were talking about cliches earlier and you have in the past. You think the third down back and the idea of, oh, we got to replace James White will one day go away? Aren't, all, aren't we in the era now where any running back is expected, should be expected to catch the ball out of the backfield and, and be a threat there? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Three Jay. great questions. Three good questions. So let's unpack them one at a time here and yeah. make sure I get this right. So uh, Jaden Daniels, his frame uh, is thinner. You know, yeah. you can you just look at him. You can see it. It's a little wiry. And he is pretty reckless with how he runs. <laughs> you could say that. Two things I don't give two Fs about, to be honest with you. Because one... I think they protect the quarterback so darn much these days that he'll be fine in terms of his frame. And two, he'll learn to slide. He'll well, learn to protect himself. He'll learn to do those types of things. They said that about RG3. No, I, RG3 got hurt on like a freak play I, on the sideline. I, I, I think it's a fair I, – I, I'm with you in that like he's not in the pocket. He's not going to take as many hits. And he'll bulk up a little bit when he gets to the NFL. Most guys need to. The, the needing to slide thing does worry me because – you're not getting protected out there. Like they might call a flag, no, but it doesn't matter. He'll, he'll learn to protect the hits himself. already have. So I, I, I'm not saying it's not coachable, but it's. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not something that he doesn't need to get better at. If you aren't, you are not. You're not passing on Jaden Daniels because he takes too many. Correct, hits. correct. You're not. But but we're also not doing our jobs if we don't sit here and say this is what the guy does well. This is what he needs to improve at, and. He can't be taking these I, I just in the think NFL. if I had to list the things that he needs to improve yeah. at to be to make it in the league, 
his frame and like the you know not taking the hits and stuff like that is is pretty far down the list like I have a lot more concerns about him reading the field seeing things on time and things like that as a passer yeah, but they're gonna, than I do a, a, that, that he likes to you know taking a quarterback that high an NFL team sees that as an investment that's how they look at it I mean these teams are all run by like corporate business ways now and tell me about it they're gonna look at that and say all right our investment he's reckless and we want to make sure like teams are going to that's going to have to dial again i'm not right i'm not saying you pass i wouldn't pass on him because of it but one of the first things i'm doing when he sat right so they bring him out on the field right when they introduce him the next day yeah if i'm uh and i'd assume oh no bill wasn't usually there for that gerard mayo seems like the kind of guy that would be there for that maybe so if i'm gerard mayo i'm there right he goes up he talks to media on the way out i walk him over and i say you see this white line here that's sideline that is your best friend get to know it get to appreciate it he'll, he'll, it's he'll one learn of the first to protect I, I, again yeah, yeah i would not draft him. all right so wait so the other questions yeah so um what was the second one now i'm lost tackle at 34 i so we, i think we, that's the sweet spot so we did our first mock draft deuce and i yesterday it'll be up I, I shortly on on video did you figure out the seventh round pick thing by the way pff yeah, fixed yeah. it okay we okay. we went with your with your order all right all right that make you, you happy went with the correct order there you go uh so i agree that there's going to be it's going to be really tough to find a tackle that is got day one starter type potential after I would say the top 65 picks in the draft. And obviously in between 34 and was it 68 that they had yeah. in the third round, that's a, that gap is going to be what you're going to lose everybody at the, the end of that. The gap. sweet spot is 20 to 50. Yeah. That's where all these guys right. are going to go. 20 so, to 50. so the parade, you're going to watch the parade go by. Right. It, it, and that's what I've been saying about tackle at three or tackle at the top of the yeah. draft. I don't love it either. But the bottom line is, is that this is draft is very, very top heavy with tackles and they're all very, very good. So they're all going to go early. Right. And you're going to see eight to 10 tackles probably go in the top 50 picks. There are some people think that eight tackles are going to go in the first round. Which would be a record. So you, you're having a lot of players go in a condensed area. If you the pass, current projection value is ten in the top fifty. If you pass on all those guys, you're going to watch the parade go by. There's right. no doubt about it. And and the, like I get guys like Javon Foster, Roger Rosengarten, like people like them, but those are developmental players. Or they're they're I hate the like high floor low ceiling thing but those guys are are they they don't have a very high ceiling right you're, you're, gonna, you're talking about a third tackle there or yeah like yes do i think that they're going to be on nfl rosters and, yeah. and and maybe push to start down the line yeah absolutely but if you want to really get a guy that's going to be like a cornerstone yeah. tackle it's got to come around and, and they can by the way they could take both they could double up I, yeah i had I, that in my mock me too um but yeah i'm, I'm with you i now that being said i i think second pick with the tackle absolutely I wouldn't be mad because there are so many guys, and some of this would be dictated by how the board falls at the end of the first round, but let's say, because sometimes you get that reverse thing where there are so many tackles that teams start to pass. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. If you can trade down from 34 to, like, 40, let's say you like a guy like Patrick Paul. Yeah. I'm not opposed to that either to add assets, but the way we're talking about tackles in the second round is the way receivers look in the third round. I just said the tackle sweet spot is like 20 to 50. The receiver sweet spot is like 30 to 80. So you have a lot more flexibility. There's just more depth in terms of contributors. I'm not going to sit here and say that 
every single receiver draft in the top 100 is going to be a contributor because we know that that's not going to happen. Some people are going to bust. They're not, there are some guys are not going to be NFL players. That's the reality. But there's more surplus there, no doubt about it. There, there's a, It's a deeper receiver class than it is a tackle class, but that doesn't mean the tackle class is bad. It's just the tackle class is top-heavy. It's top-heavy, right. And, I would say, like, punch for punch, you line up the first 10 receivers. They're similar to the first 10 tackles. Yeah. But then there's another 10 receivers yeah. that you get excited about Whereas with the tackles, you're like, all right, like you said, you're talking about, you know, Adrian Waddle. Yeah. Nothing against Adrian Waddle, right. but that kind of player. All right. Wait, uh, he had one more. Third right. down back. And this is so actually, we had this epiphany backs, this week. So third down backs are interesting because I think that the reason why, in some respects, the third down back is is dying, and I think in a lot of respects, the third down back is, is kind of dying. I think a big reason why is because all these quarterbacks are so mobile. So, like, the idea of a check down on third and three, the check down is their legs. They can just run for the first down on third and three. They, I think that's they, part of it. They don't need a James White. If you're going to have, and and this is becoming few and farther between, if you are going to have that those pocket-style quarterbacks like Tom Brady was, Tom Brady is not his own check down. So he's got to have somebody that he can just dump the ball off to late in the down and pick up those first downs. Nowadays, they just run for it. And I I do think that there's an element of that that has made the third down back obsolete. That doesn't mean I think that's part of it. It doesn't mean receiving is not important. It just means that that specialized role I think is lesser well, than in the league. To that point, I think more backs are coming out just well-rounded. And you don't Cuz you have to contribute in the passing right. game. And you don't need a specialized like you don't have like, the Garrett Blunt and James White, like you have a guy that can do both. Yeah. And so you don't need that specialized pass catching back when your your main back or your top two backs are both very capable of catching the football. As it relates to the Patriots, and we both had this revelation at the same time last week because I was putting my mock draft together and I'm like, all right, Dylan Lobby. Yeah. Specifically, all right, in the James White role. Classic Patriot. Right, but then I thought about it and I'm like, well, but it's not that offense anymore. Yeah. It's Alex Van Pelt's offense and – I don't want to say the running backs aren't involved as receivers in his offense, but it's minimal, and it's like it's. If it, he had a Christian McCaffrey, then obviously that player would be involved, right. and that's by the way what I mean. Going back earlier to not being a, flexible with, but the there's scheme. not a specific role in this offense. Like McCaffrey and Shanahan's offense becomes a factor in the passing game, right? Because they they run him as the option runner, right? So they they you know they'll call their option plays. Their option routes are not like the Patriots where everything converts, it's one specific player will have the freedom to, to yeah. make moves at the top of the route and get open. That might be Christian McCaffrey in San Francisco just because he's so darn good. But in these other offenses, it won't, you know, they'll just make it somebody else. Right. So I think when you look at this draft for the Patriots specifically, not that Dylan Lowby can't run the ball on early downs, but you maybe want, you're basically looking for a guy like Ramondre Stevenson and you're just going to split them one and two. So I mean, they're not going to draft Trey Benson or Blake Corum because those guys are are just going to go too high. But uh, oh, really? Yeah. Thank God. Say something nice about Blake Corum. No. Say something nice. I just said the Patriots. If I say something nice about Blake Corum, you have to say something nice about Kyle Shanahan. All right, go ahead. Say something nice about Blake Corum. I, I got nothing. I can't do he's it. He's a good. He's a good football player. How can you not <laughs> say anything nice about him? I I was going to say Kyle Shanahan. The play designs are nice. He doesn't know when that's he, very. He doesn't know when to use them, but they're nice. 
You can't say one thing about a very good football player. Really, about, really good, really good red zone like goal for nose for the end zone type of back. I wouldn't even say it was one of his top five things, but sure. You're, we're talking about the best player on the national championship offense. I don't think he's the best player on the national. Best skill position player. They have some linemen that are dogs. So yeah. That's fair. Okay. Best skill position. He's better than Roman Wilson. Roman Wilson's very good. Yeah, he's, he's better. Than he's Roman probably Wilson. better than Roman Wilson. Um, he might not be better than the other receiver that they had. Um, oh, the. Um, yeah, the kid, he's coming out next year. Yeah. And the tight end, Loveland. Yeah. Um, anyway, you're, you're pro- if you're the Patriots, you're looking at guys like Will Shipley is probably where that board starts. Uh, Jalen Wright from Tennessee. Cody Schrader from Missouri. Uh, the, the, Nobody uh, knows who any of these people Dejon are. Edwards from Georgia. He's I, I, in your I like, mock draft. No, I, I mean, I, I, Those are guys. Imani Dejan, Bailey from De, TCU. Dejon Edwards is somebody that I did notice uh, – in in Mobile, a yeah. decent amount. He can catch the ball. Uh, the kid from USC that was in, at the senior Marshawn Bowl, Lloyd, yeah, yeah he's really he, good. He can catch the ball too. He'd be a good fit. Uh, he's one of those guys though, Lloyd. That's like a really good like wheel route runner. Like he's not somebody like James White that's going to break down at the right. top of the route and get open on third and three. Uh, but if you want a vertical back out of the backfield, then he's somebody. That well, can okay, let me ask you this to go back to it. So those backs I just named. Well, Jalen Wright wasn't in the. I don't know if you've watched Jalen Wright. He was supposed to be at the senior bowl and he wasn't from Tennessee. Which one? Jalen Wright. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've watched him a little bit? A little bit. Okay, so Jalen Wright, Marshawn Lloyd, uh, Cody Schrader, Dejon Edwards, Amani Bailey. We just talked about the thing with the outside zone, right? And are you running true wide or mid? And you talked yeah. about you need the burner to run the true outside. Do any of those guys you think have the speed to do that where Ramondre Stevenson becomes your mid-zone runner? And yeah, then- that's a good question. Uh, you know, That's not the guys that I mentioned at, at, down in Mobile, that, yeah. that, those weren't those guys. It, ironically, like Dylan Lobby is probably one of those types yeah, you're of guys. Right. So maybe Dylan been, Lobby is still I on really the list, like but. Dylan Lobby. I just don't know where he – I don't know where he fits in their draft. Not necessarily that I don't – Fourth or fifth round. Yeah, but I, I think that they're going to have other needs that are going to be more pressing. I think they're going to trade down at, at some point, whether it's from 34 or 68, so they'll have more picks. I, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I agree. I That was one thing that stood out to me when I was doing the mock. And look, free agency will help because right? they're going to fill some holes in free yeah. agency. And that, that's going to – you might not need to draft a, a receiver in the top 75 right. picks. Right. You, you sign Mike Evans Calvin or Ridley, whoever. Mike Calvin Ridley, right. right. Whatever. It changes the picture. Exactly. But it, right now it is it seems like a lot of needs for not a lot of picks. And when I say a lot of not a lot of picks, I mean like premium picks because you draft a guy in the sixth round, you're not expecting that guy to contribute. Maybe a running back would, but you're not expecting guys at, at other positions to right. contribute. So that that I think is a big part of of that trade down that you did in your mock draft. We didn't do trades in these ones. Yeah, that trade down that you did in your mock draft, I think, is something that that definitely uh, is intriguing. But just because you start to think about. All right, quarterback, receiver, tackle, we know those. Running back's a sneaky need. Tight end's a sneaky need, and this is one of those drafts, kind of like tackle, or where the parade you can watch the parade go right. by quickly at tight end. And then there are going to be some secondary needs on defense, you know, corner, edge rusher. If they lose Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings and trade Matthew Judon, like how do they not have, draft right. an edge rusher? Now you're talking about edge rusher in the top 100. Right, so like that, those are things that are that could become uh, needs down I just, the road I just think. Well. Again, the trade down from 34, I'm glad I, you brought that up because it, it's something I just, you know, people always send us mock drafts and everybody's like trading down from three to get as many picks. It's just consider the trade down from 34 because I get the mentality behind trading down from three. You want to add more premium assets for a team that has a lot of needs, but you're giving up what what you hope 
and what you should be planning to be is a rare chance. Like some people say, oh, just trade down from three. You'll be back in the top five again next year. If that's the approach, clean out the front office right now. Yeah. You need to be planning about winning games. You move down from 34, you can sit like I added two top 100 assets. And yeah, you don't like, I'd rather move down in the second than move down in the first. And yeah, I didn't add a future first. Oh, well. But I still added the assets I needed, I felt, to get the draft I needed to have. All right. Uh, Lucas is in Boston. What's up, Lucas? Hey, how you doing, gentlemen? Hey, good. Good. Long-time listener, first-time caller since the beat. Thank Love you. Love guys' work, honestly. Um, you guys are like the only Patriots podcast I can actually bear listening to. Thank you. Um, you guys are great. But my question kind of ties into the uh, tackle or quarterback at three. Um, because you guys would agree that quarterback is a little more risky, probably, right, than taking a guy like Joe Alt? Yes. Could, could be, yeah. But that's the game you so play. So my thing is I don't feel like the Patriots can afford to miss on a QB in the top three because if they take Jaden Daniels and he doesn't pay out, it's just even further back than we are right now. So personally, I would rather go for a bridge-style QB and then maybe try to trade for a quarterback, which will inevitably become unhappy. So – just wondering if you guys think that's reasonable or if I'm just a little too scared about taking a QB. Thanks. So, who, hang on. Who are you trading for? All right, okay. he hung up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's name to the claim, right? I, and I'm not trying right. to pick on him. I'm just saying you want a bridge quarterback. I, I was starting to – I told you I was starting to do free agency stuff yeah. a little bit. Who's the bridge quarterback? It's not Kirk Cousins. It's not Kirk Cousins. It's not Kirk Cousins. Is it Ryan Tannehill? Is it, is it Justin Fields? Is it Russell Wilson? Like Jacoby Brissett. I think I don't know if Jacoby Brissett's good enough. Like Jacoby Brissett to me is the perfect. Mm, Jacoby Brissett might be better than Ryan Tannehill at this point. Jacoby Brissett to me is the perfect veteran, not bridge. I would say like spot yeah. starter that early on in and Jaden Daniels' career early on in Drake May's career. If you don't want to throw him out there week one, uh, it's very difficult to find the true the baker mayfield in this group of of available yeah that's as risky as taking the guy high in the draft and and take i'm not going to do the whole rant but taking a quarterback scary right hundred doors 99 of them darkness and despair putting it off doesn't change how unlikely it is but the reality is the team's going to be better if you're going to take that swing because you you have to take the swing eventually i get patriots fan what if he busts at a certain point you have to take a chance at quarterback yeah wouldn't you rather take the swing at three in a draft that looks to be good at quarterback than have to take the swing when you're starting off picking 10th in a bad quarterback class and I have to pay a ton to give up. Yeah, like, I'm with you on it's, that. It's scary. It's scary. This I get is, that it's this, scary. This draft Buckle is the, up. Here we are. This is the draft to take a quarterback. Yeah. It is. And I actually – I'm with the caller. I, I see a lot of logic to what the caller is saying. Yeah. And I would go that route if that route was readily available to me. Right? Like if, right. I, if I could acquire a Jared Goff – who maybe Justin Fields is that guy. Like maybe that's the closest thing that we have to this right now is Justin Fields. But somebody that is still 26, 27, former like high draft pick that has potential still, you know, a Goff, maybe it's Justin Fields, but I just think that watching Justin Fields in Chicago, the limitations as a passer are legitimate. Like it's a legitimate concern about that. I I could see that logic if that quarterback was available, but like an older Russell Wilson an older Kirk cousins, like those, that's not the player. It's well, really Justin Fields. And that's it. The, the other difference is when the lions traded for Goff, he had a contract and he had a and relatively they also had Stafford to trade for him. Right. So they had a huge asset to give up. 
that wasn't a yeah, draft pick. Th- yeah, they got Goff and picks to build around him. Well, that's what I was going to say. Goff had the contract that at the time was affordable. Fields doesn't. Yeah. Or he does for a year, but you're not going to have the same opportunities to build around him. If it was next year, and you want to tell me they could trade for Trevor Lawrence, maybe. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, the route. But to, to your point about having something to trade, let's say you draft Jane Daniels, and it goes, nah. Yeah. Maybe next year you trade Jane Daniels for Trevor Lawrence. Oh God, I don't know if they. That would be a hell of a trade. And that, I mean, other like other trade. things. Uh, there'd be other things involved there. But I'm saying, like, they, you're going to have to do it eventually. I get that. I get it's scary, but yeah, putting it off doesn't make it any less scary. If anything, putting if it off makes sign, it more scary because you're going to be in worse shape. If there to was add like, the quarterback. maybe maybe this is more like the Kirk Cousins model. But like, if they could sign a true bridge quarterback for. A reasonable contract, yada yada yada. Yeah, and then draft like Penix in the second round. Those are things that I'm not like totally opposed to. I just don't love any of the options that are available to do that because Kirk Cousins is going to make 35 million dollars a year. Right. It's different than and he's 36 years old, coming off a torn Achilles. Right. But if you're looking at it and you're saying we're going to do it for a year or two with Cousins, and then Penix is going to be the guy, or we hope Penix is going to be the guy, I could I could get behind. But that. I also it just is a di- it's difficult with the money. With I Kirk wouldn't Cousins. rule out that Cousins ends up being such a disaster that you suddenly have to go to Penix in year one. I guess if he doesn't bounce back from the if, Achilles, which is the, that's the new ACL. That's the hard one to bounce back from. I, I yeah. no half measures at quarterback. That's the one position where you don't take half measures. No half measures at quarterback. All right, fair enough. Ryan's in Virginia. What's up, Ryan? Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hey. Uh, uh, look, big fan of the show. Always love listening to you guys' input. Uh, I had a couple comments and then some questions. Yep. Uh, one comment goes back to when you guys were talking about the Super Bowl. Um, I know that that end of the fourth quarter, there was the clock management discussion you guys were having. But if they go on that third down, they run the ball, and let's say they milk 30 seconds. The Chiefs let the clock run at the end. They didn't really use their timeouts to save any of that time. They definitely could have gotten down and kicked a field goal if the same time. Got to manage the clock. But e- but they have less time to do it. Like, it changes the approach. Nah, Ryan, you're right. Don't let them time I'm just, down. I, I, yeah, regardless. Um, give Patrick Mahomes all the time you want, I, then. It's not important. No, I, yeah, I just, uh, you've seen Mahomes do it with 17 seconds. I think he can do it with a minute. But regardless, um, I have been looking at this draft class, and Drake May has been interesting, but he has a lot of fundamental issues where, like, his footwork and he drifts in the pocket scare me. Uh, if he does end up falling and Jim Daniels passes him at two, it's a spooky concept to me. I don't know if I want an inconsistent passer like that. And then uh, if we have to go tackle at 32, if we can't trade down, if the market's barren, what do you think we're going to do at the tight end position for next year? Thanks for the call, Ryan. It- it's good. And that's what that other guy asked too, by the way. Yeah. About Jane Daniels jumping Drake made it too, as I had said two months ago was going to happen. It's oh. happening. Okay, victory lap over there. I, I think it's possible. Same. Uh, I, I I'm going to do my quarterback uh, pre combine tiers. Do lots of tiers lately around. I already here. I put my big board out already. I'm going to do that uh, next week and uh, for quarterbacks. And I, I am tempted to put Jaden Daniels too. I had Jaden Daniels. I've had Jaden Daniels tough. too. It's tough. It, it, they're definitely in the same tier. And that's yeah. how I'm probably going to ultimately, you know, kind of sit on the fence a the little gap, bit with it. It, it. The gap, the it, gap between Caleb Williams big. and whoever you have at two is definitely bigger, significantly bigger than the gap between two and three. Yeah, and, and the, to the caller's point, th- these are all things that I I pointed out about Drake May. Uh, his footwork can be a little bit inconsistent throwing outside the numbers. Uh, his elongated release, I think, is is a big concern for me just in terms of ball security. Do you think he has things. a consistent release? 
Yeah, but uh, I think his mechanics are clean in that respect. Like it's repeatable the way he throws the ball. Okay. Uh, but he he tends to hold the ball like a little bit further back than you would yeah. want, and it, it, his arm is just like completely vulnerable to yeah. strip sacks and things like he that. He trebuchets it a little. Yeah, bit. exactly. And uh, and he does have a propensity to drift towards where he's throwing the ball in the pocket, which can lead to getting himself into some pressure and some problems. With that being said, I think what shocks me about Drake May, and, and I, I, I just have fun with the people from North Carolina. I, I don't actually hate you, North Carolina. But I think what shocks me about Drake May is that on paper, he's the modern quarterback. Like He's everything that people talk about. This is what you need in the league you need somebody that's got good size good arm talent good mobility right like that that's yeah. what uh, and that ability in some of that like off script magic that moxie to to create plays make plays with his legs happen he has he has all of those things does he have some flaws in terms of his details like the caller was talking about yes but all of those same things could be said for herbert all those same things could have been said for josh allen like th- that that's no one's perfect. Like they're going to have, they're going to have flaws. I am shocked at how, how volatile of a prospect Drake may was is. I thought this was going to be Jaden Daniels. I thought Jaden Daniels was going to be the lightning rod. I'll tell you why. And it's a, it's a college football thing. It's not an NFL thing because Jane Daniels lit up college football, lit, lit up the sec. So this is my, and point. Drake may struggled in a very bad ACC. So this is That's my why. this is my point it's a level about, competition the, about the people from North Carolina who I I, I really do he, like a lot. The the thing about when you're that close to players is that the product on the field at their last stop tends to matter more to you, right? Like the fact that he didn't win a lot of games last year at North Carolina, the fact that North Carolina wasn't a very good football team, that kind of stuff is going to matter when you're closer to it. That stuff's going to matter if you're a Tar Heels fan, right? Like, that's going to matter to you. I don't care about any of that. I don't care that they didn't win the national championship in a basketball school. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. So, ultimately, with Drake May, I just am very, very surprised at how many people don't like him as a prospect because he is exactly what the league, everybody tells me the league is trending towards. Arm talent, mobility, playmaking create stuff with your legs win late in the down like that touchdown pass was against clemson right the one off his back foot that yes. he like the fadeaway throw that is the league right like that's what's supposed to be the league now but you need to be able you do need to be able to do it consistently i think that he does it more consistently as a passer than people give him credit for okay but that's just me i i i look at him as that's the player that's that's the archetype now and I'm just surprised that more people or so many people are anti Drake May. I am. All right. Last call. And then I do want to get to the receiver yep. tiers before we uh, wrap this up. Uh, ben is in Brussels. What's up, Ben? Like Brussels, like in across the pond. <laughs> yeah. Well, love that. What's up? I am, uh, I'm American, but I've been here for 13 years. So very cool. Count. So thanks for taking my call. You guys are doing the best content, content these days. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to talk wide receivers just a little bit more, and maybe I'm preempting the next discussion. Like that. But a different aspect of it. Because we're all very excited about all these possibilities. You can add draft and free agency. But the thing in my back of my head is, how many guys can we actually add 
given the two kind of <laughs> boat anchors we have in the wide receiver room named Juju and Devontae Parker. Yeah. Basically yep. put on the GM caps for a minute. Like, would you take the cat medicine immediately on those two? And if you don't, are there going to be the snaps going around for two, maybe even three additions into the room? So thanks. I'll take the call there. That's a fair point, Ben, because I, I thought about this too uh, when I was looking at the free agency class for receivers if you don't open up some snaps and obviously if you sign T Higgins, you're, you're pushing Devonte Parker out. Like he's obviously well, not at gonna... this point. You're not signing T. You're not signing T Higgins. You're trading for him. And I, I wonder sure. well, he's going to get franchised. So yeah, I wonder if in that specific scenario, if there's value in trading Devonte Parker. back. So I would never say never to moving trade guys in trades after Johnny Smith got traded yeah. and somebody picked up that contract. I thought there was absolutely no chance in hell the Patriots were going to be able to move off of Johnny Smith. None. No. And they were able they were able to do it. Juju seems like more of that type of guy that people just bet on last year kind of being a little bit of a blip because of the offense and the situation really? and that kind of thing than Devontae Parker. Yeah. I, I think, think Parker would be easier to move cuz Juju like the, the his knee. I think Juju I think teams would be worried I about think his knee. Teams would look at Juju as having higher ceiling and more potential. Okay. But, I, no, I'm with you, and, you know, that's part of the cap space. If they have to eat some money, they have the flexibility to be able to eat some money. They, I, if, I, I, if you have to attack, like, if you have to pay some of their, their base salary to move them, or I'm doing that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I think it, definitely getting, I don't know if they can move both, but if you can get one off, especially Parker, because you need to be better at the X. Yeah. I, I, if you have to give up a little bit to do that, I absolutely think it's worth it. Absolutely. I agree. All right, let's get to the tiers, the tiers of the day, wide receiver tiers. So I, I have four tiers. I have 11 guys so far. I did. I studied okay. 15. I got 11 of them tiered here. Well, so the other four would be on the next tier then. Oh, I guess that's true, huh? Yeah. All right. Anyways, uh, should we go from one to four or four to one? Uh, Let's go one to four because we might have different. Okay. So this and that. my tier one wide receivers. Yeah. That should not be plural. My tier one wide receivers. That, plural. Okay. Marvin Harrison Jr. Yep. Malik Neighbors. Roma Dunze. All okay. three tier one. Okay. So Marvin Harrison Jr. And I have comps for everybody too. All I, right. You know, I, I like comps. Yeah. I have comps for everybody. Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, definitely the most well-rounded receiver prospect I've seen maybe ever. Uh, and I'm not that old, so I'm not yeah. saying I've been doing. I haven't. I didn't see Calvin Johnson, you know, that that type of thing. But uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. definitely the most well-rounded prospect. Really can't find a lot of flaws to his game. I would say the one flaw, if you had to say like this, he doesn't have this elite trait, is long speed down the field like yeah, vertical burst. It's not a burner. But at the same time. The way that he can run routes at his size is ridiculous. The alignment versatility is ridiculous. His release package is ridiculous. The comp is easy for me on this one. It's Devontae Adams. Not a down-the-field burner, but still wins down the field because of how good he is in the first couple stages of the route, you know, the release, the stem, things like that. Uh, he is, he's fantastic, well-rounded, no no real knocks on him whatsoever. Uh, clearly wide receiver one, but I, I do have him in the same tier as neighbors in a dunes. I think he's in his own tier. You're talking about a guy that's right. I, I, I said this last year. I'll, like, I'll, he I'll comes, explain. He comes in the league. I, I think he's a, a top 10 receiver as a rookie. That's fair. I, I, I don't know about top 10 because, you know, there are a lot of good receivers in the league, but he's going to be – I have no doubt in my mind that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a stud. No doubt. Number two, uh, probably my favorite prospect out of all these guys – uh, that I watched uh, Malik Neighbors, 
is that guy's he's a dude he is an absolute dude i think the reason why i have him in the same tier as mgh is because his mhj yeah what did i say mgh mass general I, I don't know why i said that right. uh malik neighbors the reason why i have him in the same tier as uh as marvin is his acceleration and speed his play speed in general is a superpower that i think might be the best thing in this class I don't think anybody does anything one one thing better than Malik Neighbors does at hitting the NOS. Like that guy, Joe is Milton throws the ball. Got further. rockets on his back. Yeah, no, he's. And what I love about his game is that it it affects the game in so many different ways because it affects the game as a horizontal, you know, crosser stretching the field horizontally. It it affects the game on verticals, and I think what makes him so unique. And when I was trying to figure out player comps, because body type-wise, him and Jamar Chase are like the same person. They're both like 6'1", 205. Yeah. But I think what the difference is, he's so fluid and slippery with the ball on his hands in yak mode that I, I, I don't... His speed just translates in so many different ways. It reminds me in a lot of ways of like how Tyree Kill can impact the game, where is Tyree Kill the, the best receiver in the NFL? I don't know. But Tyree Kill's superpower is better than anybody else's superpower. Yeah. And I think that Malik Neighbors' speed and, and game-changing speed might be the best superpower in the draft. So who's your comp? So this was tough because, I again, I think from a body type composition-wise, he fits a lot more like Jamar Chase. Like, I think that that's yeah. a fair comp. I think the way that he plays reminds me a lot of Jalen Waddell. Just okay. the way that he affects this, like I said, with the speed in all three levels – his ability to run through angles with the ball in his hand. You know, I posted a play yesterday of Jaden Daniels and I, I made a big deal about the throw because I don't think Malik neighbors is going to be easily obtainable for the Patriots. It just doesn't make sense for them at that point in the draft, but he takes like a little skinny, like a, you know, five step slant and he just runs through the angle and then turns up field. There's only a couple guys in the league that, that can has that kind of speed. It's like, Jameson Williams, who I thought about, but I think that he's got a little bit more he's bigger, meat like, on the bones. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Waddell, Hill, like those are the guys that can do those types of things where they catch the ball and they're just instantly moving at a different speed than everybody else. Uh, I love Malik Neighbors. He's probably my favorite player in the draft. Wow. And and that's no disrespect to Marvin Harrison Jr., who's a better prospect overall. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, but just in terms of the way that he plays, like that's the receiver that I want on my team. Like That's the way I want my guys playing. So mm-hmm. Malik Neighbors, number two. So I have Harrison one in his own tier. Yeah. And then I have neighbors in a Dunze. I actually kind of like a Dunze better than neighbors. Just that. I understand that. I maybe, and maybe this is, and I, I the Patriots aren't going to be able to get either of them, but maybe this is viewing it through Patriots lens. Yeah. I talked earlier about making things easy for the quarterback, right? Roma Dunze is such a quarterback friendly wide receiver. Yeah. Like he gets open. He's got a great catch radius. He's consistent. He when you watch him run, you know, whatever picker out, an out route, a slant, a post, whatever you want to call it. He runs it the same way every single time. Yet He's he still manages to get open. But so, like, if you're a quarterback, you don't need, all right, well, is, is he running it at, and this is going to sound like minutia, but it's not. Is he running it at, is he running the five yard out at five yards or is he running it at four and a half? Or is he running it at five and a half? You can set your watch to where Roma Dunze is going to be on any given assignment. I think his catch radius is fantastic. I love how physical he is at the top of the route, at the catch point. Uh, You're really not going to muscle a football away from him. Sneaky good after the catch. Red zone threat. I just His game's so well-rounded, and it's so consistent. 
I, I'm a huge, and it's not, I, I agree with everything you said about Malik Neighbors, but I do think there's some, um, the guys you named, Jamison Williams yeah. has Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddell has Tyree Kill. I think to unlock a player like that takes a little bit more work from the quarterback, from the offensive coordinator, from both. Not to say they're not good, and if, you know, the upside's probably higher, but most teams picking at this point in the draft, they're sort of starting from scratch. You put Roma Dunze out there in whatever situation, and I, he's going to produce for you, and he's going to be yeah. a factor. So, my, actually, I, I was struggling with the comp for neighbors, too. Waddle's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, my he, comp, he's, just, he's bigger than Waddle. He's bigger, right. But he plays like Waddle. Yeah. So, it's funny. I was going to say faster Jamar Chase, but that felt too high. So, the biggest difference between Jamar Chase and neighbors yeah. is I think Jamar Chase is much better at the catch point. Yeah. And so he's got that physicality at the catch point that Neighbors doesn't have, but he but Neighbors is so much looser with the ball neighbors, in his hands. Neighbors is one of those guys that would fall into the unicorn category for me. Where like I don't, you're not going to find Malik Neighbors in the draft. He's next just year. so freaking. But fast. my my comp for a Dunze, and everybody knows how much I, people are going to be surprised actually. But I yeah. really really like this or liked him. He had a down year this year, but I, I think he's been one of the most underrated players in the NFL for the last two or three years. Is Stephon Diggs? Really? See, I think with a Dunze. I think he's too good at the catch point. Like Diggs, Diggs to me is the, a top of the route guy. Like his his super. So maybe a more physical Stephon Diggs, but I just mean like, what doesn't Stephon Diggs do in the Bills' offense? Like he's yeah, they've struggled fair. between Gabe Davis, between all these guys. They've never truly found that second receiver, and yet Stephon Diggs, with all the attention on him, with a quarterback that's occasionally spraying the ball, just monster game after monster game after monster game. He just shows up. And you can set your watch until this year. He fell apart this year, but like you can set your watch to Stefan Diggs no matter the situation. So that's how I feel about Roma Dunze. I've had the same comp for Roma Dunze. I yeah. agree with everything that you said. I think the biggest thing for me with Roma Dunze, first of all, subscribes to everything's a fade, which I love. So like everything his route looks the same for like seventy five percent of the route, which makes it so difficult to cover right. because he can run by you. Or he can break off a dig. He can stop right and have, right. you know be a, a stop route or a sit route, whatever you want to call it, hitch. Or he, you know he can break across the field on a crossing route. Everything looks the same until it's not. Love those types of guys. Those are crafty guys. Those are guys that know what they're doing. Also, his ability, his hands, and at the catch point, that that to me is what puts him in the same tier as Neighbors and Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, is the adjustments on the ball and the catch point, like the touchdown he caught against Texas, or is it Oregon? I don't remember which one. The back shoulder. That he caught against Oregon. I think, I think you're talking Oregon. about the Oregon one, yeah. yeah. No, he's he's a vacuum. You put the ball that, remotely that near him, he's going to catch it. That type of play is undefensible. There is no way to guard that throw and that catch. Which, again, to go back to my point, like quarterback friendly. Yeah. He's going to so, make life easier on the quarterback. My comp for him has been consistently DeAndre Hopkins. I still think it's DeAndre Hopkins. He's a little taller. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm like still 6 I'm. I always forget DeAndre Hopkins is six one. He so, feels so much taller. Yeah, but he plays bigger than, he, than yeah. his, his height. And – uh I, I would say that that's my comp still for Adunze as DeAndre Hopkins. So if you come away from this draft with a Devontae Adams, a Jalen Waddle slash Jamar Chase cyborg, yeah. or DeAndre Hopkins, I think you did pretty good. Yeah. And that's why I put all of them in the same tier. Okay. Because I just think Harrison's his own thing. I think Harrison might be his own thing. And I, I was close to putting him in one and the other two in their own separate it's like tier. like one and 1A. But it's just all three of those guys that. You come away from a draft, and you and in five years you're saying your guy is as good as DeAndre Hopkins. Right, that is a tier you one well, elite yeah. blue chip player. Yeah, and so that's why I put them all in the same tier. So 
uh, my tier two only has one receiver in it because okay. I think that there's the, a weird th- those three guys to me are all top ten guys. Yeah. Then I think that there's one guy that's sort of in the ten to twenty. I'm sorry, Jeez. I'm dying over here. Uh, ten to twenty five range, right? That yeah. and there's another tier tier my tier three which is all like 25 to 40 yeah so brian thomas from lsu is my one tier two guy yeah he's kind of in his own uh i'd put a second guy in there but go ahead he's he's in the tweener to me i really liked uh watching him i enjoyed it i i think that the biggest thing that he has is that straight line down the field linear explosiveness like he's he, like a classic lsu wide receiver classic lsu wide receiver he can just run by people that right. he will run right through the defense. Is he the best route runner? Is he a technician? Uh, no, he's not. Uh, but he's got that ability to just hit the gas and go by everybody. And then I do think that his size does translate at the catch point to having a, a good catch radius. And that's important to track, adjust, high point when you're that kind of receiver. That's th- Those are important traits. So I'm going to say this comp, and people are going to be like, that's it. But just remember that if he's – life doesn't go off the rails that Martavis Bryant would have been an absolute monster for a long time. So I look at him as as very similar to Martavis Bryant, where he just has that ability to just run by the entire defense. And there's not a lot of guys like that. I put Keon Coleman in that end of the first round. Oh, you know, I I know know you don't don't like like Keon Coleman, but no, the reality is there's going to be a team that sees a guy that's six, four, that just gets to every single football around him and says, yeah, we can make that work. Honestly, it might be the Bengals. You 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 replace. So you, so you put Thomas and Coleman in the same tier, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And, and and like, if I'm the Bengals, I'm sitting there at the end of first round, and I know I'm going to lose T. Higgins. Maybe I'm trading T. Higgins. Keon Coleman. Like he's just red zone threat. He's he always just never gets open. But he's he, literally but, never open. But he is because he's six four. And but that that is such a low percentage trait. Like it's such a. But if you have an accurate quarterback, it's not. I hear you. I that, and I'm not saying the Patriots should take wish, him. I'm not saying the Patriots should take him. But yeah, it, I think it's more about the Patriots. There's, than anything. Okay, there's going to be a team that says this guy. Like we got a bunch of small, faster receivers. Yeah, we we need a guy in the red zone. We need a guy that can kind of be a, a matchup piece, a complement to them. For what Keon Coleman does, I understand you don't necessarily value his skill set, right? But for the skill set he has, he does it at an incredibly high level. And there's going to be so, a team that looks at that and says, the other thing this is, is what we want. We want to add this skill set to our about offense. Keon Coleman. So that, Keon Coleman's in my next tier, so I'll just, yeah. I'll just start okay. off there. Uh, my next tier. You is, also have to remember with Keon Coleman, this is a weird one because he's a transfer. He's only 20. Yeah. He's going to get more fit. Like Physically, just, he's going to grow. I, just, I like separators, and he doesn't get open. I get that. No, he's not your kind of guy, but there are, there are NFL GMs that are interested in Six four guys that catch everything that's thrown in their zip code. Okay, I'll get I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Okay. So tier three, uh, Troy Franklin, who I know you're not a big. Oh fan no, of. I have more. I have more tier three guys. You mean t- tier two? No, well, my tier three because I had Harrison in tier one. Oh, okay. Brian yeah. Thomas, Keon Coleman, and the two Texas guys. Okay. So Andy Mitchell and Xavier. So the, the two Texas guys are in my okay. my tier three because I had yeah Thomas by himself. Uh, Troy Franklin. Yeah. Xavier Worthy, who you know I love. That guy. That, I, I my said type two years guy. ago, I was like, this uh, is Evan's is guy. I knew that. I uh, knew that was coming. And you're right, by the way. I don't disagree with you. You're right. A.D. Mitchell. Yeah. Keon Coleman. Okay. So here's the thing about Coleman. I went into it with an open mind. No, you didn't. 
I hate the skill set. You didn't it. go into it with no I went into it with my Just be honest. I did. Every, I swear. You were texting me in September when he had that big game against LSU. You were like, please don't let the Patriots draft this guy. So here's the thing that actually surprised me about his film. Yeah. He wasn't quite as good at contested catches as I thought he was going to be. The numbers back that up. But he was better with the ball in his hands than I thought. So I'll give him that. He's actually pretty good after the catch. Yeah. That's my compliment for Keon He's like Coleman. sneaky athletic. He's pretty good after the catch. What doesn't do it for me is like the, the one-handed catches and the things like that because that, it's not consistent offense, right? Right. Now, with that being said, I thought he was better after the catch than I expected. So I, I didn't complete I, – I, I was – in my head, I wanted to put him like on the floor. Yeah. But I didn't because I, I give him credit for that. I, I already talked about A.D. Mitchell a little bit today. I really l- like his uh, – his ability to, again, move as a bigger guy, uh, fluidity, uh, change directions, route running ability. My comp for him is a really interesting one because this could be the top receiver available in free agency. I think he plays a lot like Michael Pittman Jr. Interesting. And so the question is, if you're a team, do you look at A.D. Mitchell and say, we can draft A.D. Mitchell at 34 or we could pay Michael Pittman Jr., how confident are we in our evaluation of A.D. Mitchell? Because Michael Pittman, like A.D. Mitchell, doesn't have blazing speed down the field. He's average, Pittman in, with the Colts is average like 11 yards a catch. Like He's a right. possession receiver that plays on the perimeter. I think A.D. Mitchell is going to be similar in the league. The other thing I really liked about A.D. Mitchell on film, he's very, very good at double moves. And because he's he's so, a better route runner than he should be for a size. Yeah, it's because he's so good as a possession guy on like slants and in cuts and things like that. He can get guys to bite on those, and then that's how he creates his vertical separation. So he's not going to run by you, but he's got that the slant and go, the double moves, those types of things. Really, really crafty and and good salesman on those. So like my that. my comp for eighty Mitchell, and this makes it really interesting for the Patriots. And there's a time period on this. Yeah, Miami Dolphins, Devontae Parker. Like so, that's that to me is how I feel about Keon Coleman. I, yeah, there might be some of that. I yeah. don't know. I think I, I don't think Keon Coleman's as explosive. So then, what is he good at? He's good at catching jump balls. He's good at being bigger than guys. Oh, but he's God. like he that's he he, a... he no he's the body control is really good. His size, he has the body control. He's good after the catch because he's hard to tackle. He's like sort of a tight end ish kind of guy. Like I, for me with with Ad Mitchell, it's that he's he's what you want an X to be. Yeah, he's graceful, right. but he's six four. I never. That's it. Keon Coleman does stumble over himself a little bit. Like I don't think he he's fluid. His body control in the air is really good. Like that touchdown that he caught against Texas. Yeah. In the, in, oh no, his his body control is outstanding. I mean, like he just has that ability to just loft in the air like you know i, I love i love guys like that again so i that think him and like coleman i think him and coleman are very comparable i think it, it they're it, in the same tier and i think so there, I, there's I a lot of similarities between the two it's just do you want do you, yeah would you what do you value more explosiveness off the line or explosiveness at the catch point so i think that's he, basically yeah, what it comes like down i think to. keon coleman is is definitely a better true like jump ball artist right uh, because I do think A.D. Mitchell struggles at times with physicality at the top of the route, right. and he'll have to work on that. Uh, but in general, I, I I think that I just would rather the guy that can run routes. I so think- that's so that and that's the big difference between the two. Yeah. So I yeah, I I I really 
can they just draft the Texas offense? I like, like, so now now we get to Zay, whole, now we get to Xavier Worthy, yeah. who is just that is the dude. Like that is my kind of guy. It's taller Zay just Flowers. Taller Zay Flowers. Uh, that's a good comp. I I see the in the way like his burst and his suddenness. Like there's some Tank Dell in there as well. Yeah, it's, it's like that, taller. It's, it's that Dell. guy. It's it, it, Pop it just, Douglas. It's perfect. That ability to take like a little th- a pass in the flat and then turn up field and gain 40 yards on it. The slot fades, the quickness with the ball in his hands and at the top of the route, he's got return. He's like a returner in the open field. Yeah. Like that, that he gets open 24 seven. He's got the quickness and he's got that ability. Is he the most physically imposing receiver? Of course not. That's going to be the problem or not the problem, but that's going to be, he's going to have to overcome that. Right. Is that he is going to get bodied off at the catch point. Like, and that's at, just at the line of scrimmage. I mean, yeah. he had some troubles with oh, press. Oh, good luck and... catching him. So, like, that I'm not as worried about. Well, if you get your hands on him, you press him. Because it, I think that a good offensive coordinator that's is going to move him around yeah. and, and get him off of press coverage. Uh, but I, I love that I love that type of player. I do. And, I, I, and for the same reasons, I'm a little bit higher than you, I think, on Troy Franklin, who yeah. I understand is not, you know, it's dangerous for the Patriots because he, he does have some Tyquan Thornton in them. But he's a lot better, I think, uh, off the line of scrimmage in his release package. He's a little bit more crafty than that. Yeah, uh, that I've was. seen them draft that guy, and he just runs go routes, and they just have him running. And I get it; it's a new offense, but like he's just a little bit more crafty than that. I'd I, rather if they're gonna, but he, if you're gonna draft an X at that point, because they'll both probably be on the board. Take Ad Mitchell. Ad Mitchell's a more complete player for the same role. I I agree; he's a little bit more complete player. I he's I just more than a little bit. I think that. With Troy Franklin, what impressed me was that he does have some nuance to his game that I didn't think he was going to have. Like I thought that he was just going to in the Pac-12, Evan. I just I know I just thought that he was just going to run by people. Like when I you know that's what I expected. In a lot of ways, his game reminds me a little bit of Jerry Judy. But I think with Judy, the difference was is that his his game translated to the slot a little bit more than I think Troy Franklin's will. But Troy Franklin has some of that you know, nuance and route releasing and things like that. And his, his release package is a lot better than I expected. So I, I think that there is something there with Troy Franklin. Maybe it's not for the Patriots. Like maybe it's just not their type of guy right now. Uh, but I do like him. My, my only concerns about guys like Xavier Worthy uh, and Troy Franklin. And then my next tier guys too, are kind of my like day two route runners Yeah, are in this offense for better or worse. Uh, they're going to run the ball a lot. And those guys, you already have a Pop Douglas, right? And, like, how many of those types of guys are you going to have in your offense? Run blocking is not why you draft a receiver. It's not, it's not why you don't draft a receiver. But the bottom line is is a lot of these really good offenses around the league, San Francisco, Kansas City, Detroit, Baltimore, guess what their receivers all do? Their receivers all block. And they're all good blockers at the point of attack. You know, we were talking about it during the Super Bowl. Jawan Jennings might have been the MVP of the Super Bowl if the 49ers had won that game. Yep. He's one of the best blocking receivers in the league. So I do worry a little bit about having too many finesse guys and too many undersized guys uh, for the Patriots because I, I do think that Pop Douglas is still a part of the solution. And that's, again, why I go back to, to A.D. Mitchell. Yeah. Like, I just keep – A.D. Mitchell's the guy to me, like, if you can't tell. And all things considered – 80, if the Patriots can find a way, and I know they, we talked about before they need to take a tackle at 
at 34. So I don't know how that happens, but yeah, if they can find a way to make it, okay. Be great. So uh, tier four, my last tier here. Yeah, I, I, I like I said, I call these like my day two route runners, yeah. guys that just know how to get open. Uh, Roman Wilson, Lad McConkey, Jalen Polk. I, I really like all three of these players on day two. I think you could do a whole lot worse at. Oh, you missed I, one. Did I miss one? I think so. You who should I, have. Who did I miss? You don't put Corley in that in that group. I liked Corley. Uh, I wasn't crazy about him. I didn't really think he fi- he held up very well to physicality, and these guys are all going to play in the slot. So I, right. I look at Roman Wilson. I've used Amon Ross St. Brown in the past for my comp there. Just smooth, efficient, bursty, uh, really good with the ball in his hands. I-, I love Roman Wilson. I think that that's a guy that I would take 10 times out of 10. Lad McConkie. Lad McConkie is faster than you think. Lad McConkie. I'm starting to think the comp for him is Chris Hogan. I think Lad McConkie's comp to me is more like Adam Thielen, but hey, let's not do this thing. <laughs> what? Is there nobody else we can think of? No, he's a, he's a, he, he's a slot white receiver, a white slot receiver. That's what he is. I'm not afraid to say it. It's Adam Thielen. It's Jordy Nelson, maybe, but not, I think Jordy Nelson was bigger. Jordy Nelson played more on a boundary, didn't he? Lad McConkie, I like a lot. I, the one thing I like, uh, uh, I don't think Lad McConkie's got speed to run by people. I don't think he's going to be a vertical threat, but he's got really good acceleration in the first 10 yards, and that gets guys to open up, right? So then he can break off his routes, dig routes, slant route, crosser. If you can't get off the line of scrimmage with some burst and some momentum, it makes it those guys can just sit on those routes, right? So he's able to get people to open up their hips and move for, vertically up the field. And then he can break it down. Really crafty route runner. The other comp, sticking with the white wide receivers, Go Hunter Renfro. It. Little Hunter Renfro in his game. All right. You Look, know how I feel about Hunter Renfro. You don't like Hunter I've Renfro. I thought it was over. Uh, Jalen Polk. Uh, do you know who Jalen Polk reminds me a lot of? Jaden Jacoby Reed. Jacoby Myers. Oh, wow. I was way off. No. not I don't really see a lot of Jacoby. I don't see craftiness like Jacoby. I saw vertical oh, ability. Oh, I got the Washington guys backwards. Never mind. Oh, yeah. I could see that with, uh, what's his name? McMillan. McMillan. Yeah. Okay. That's my bad. Uh, Jalen Polk I, I reminds me a lot of of J.D. Yeah, Reed I could see that. in Green Bay. I was hoping, I really wanted to like Jalen Polk because I think that he's going to go at a time of the draft where they might be able to get him. Yeah. But he's not He's not really a route runner per se. Like, I wouldn't call him like like these other guys, like Wilson and McConkie. Yeah. He's more of like a very, very good speed guy. And he's going to run crossing routes. He's going to run vertical slot fades, you know, things from condensed formations yeah. inside. And he's going to run away from people. And I, I think that's a lot like Jaden Reed. So, yeah, I think on day two, I'm, I'm with you. Roman Wilson, uh, uh, I'm pull, I have to pull something up my phone now because my computer died. Roman Wilson, Lad McConkey, like your slot guys. Yeah. I think you have like the early day two X guys, which is to me is Xavier Leggett and Tez Walker. Yeah. I put those two guys in the bucket together. And then the group that really interests me is there's three guys like late on day three that I all find fascinating. They're all slightly different receivers, but I think they could all sort of play the same role or two of them could. Ricky Pearsall, Johnny Wilson, Brendan Rice. So I really like Ricky Pearsall, too. That is my, and I mean this in a good way, F around and find out tier. Because yeah, I, I look at those guys just, so Brendan Rice probably is the most stagnant. Like, I think he's a I think he's a fourth. I think he's a fourth-round pick. Uh, I like Brendan I, Rice. I can see him at the end of day three. I, Depends I, on what he, I guess, how he works out and runs. He, and he like seems, that. especially for a guy that, like, you know, his dad's Jerry Rice. You'd think he'd kind of walk out there and be one of these, like, do you know how my who my dad is, guys? That dude is a dog. 
that yeah. dude has the motor. Yeah, I agree all with that. that. He definitely has a lot more compete and plays way, way different than his father. A completely different player. Yeah. But I, I, I think he's more of like a true X. Yep. Um, Ricky Pearsall and Johnny Wilson interest the hell out of me. You know who Ricky Pearsall reminds you know, me of a little bit? I, Johnny Wilson worries me. I know. We're going to get to Johnny Wilson. You know who Ricky Pearsall reminds me of a little bit? This is a weird comp. Okay. And it's not necessarily the play style. But when I look at Ricky Pearsall, yeah. he plays wide receiver like an a-hole. Like, he he runs physical routes. Like, there's times where he gets open, but instead of just breaking open, it's almost like he shoves the corner, just not as an OPI, but just to be like, I want you to feel me. Like, And you know who that reminds me of? Because there's not many guys I've seen do Are that. Are you going to say Isaiah Pacheco? No. <laughs> it's worse. You're going to roll your eyes oh, even harder. God. Steve Smith. Oh my God! Steve Smith you used did to not run just routes. Ricky no, 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 no. I'm not comparing them as players, but the mentality. Whereas, like, when Steve Smith runs a route, you go back, you watch him. After I say this, you'll see it. Steve Smith runs a route like he wants the corner to be hurt by his route. Like okay. he wants to. You know what I mean? I kind of yeah. Like ice up, son. He, right? He, he runs angry. He runs angry. Yeah. Ricky Pearsall just constantly seems annoyed that there's a corner trying to stop him, and he's taking it out personally on the corner. I love that. I like Ricky Pearsall. And then on top of that, he's a good player. But like, so you mentioned that you know these are all kind of guys that I put in like, what I not my favorite types of players. I like Ricky Pearsall though. I would put him maybe a little bit above these other guys. Uh, Xavier Leggett worries the crap out of me. Like that more than Tez Walker. I Tez Walker. I think yes and no. I think Xavier Leggett is something that you think you're getting something that you're not going to get. You know what I mean? Like Tez Walker. I feel like you know. Probably like a number so two, you, number three receiver. Okay. Like, so he, you worry Xavier Leggett's a little Nikhil Harry-ish. He reminds me a lot of LaVisca Chenault. Oh, you, st- you said that. Man. Just because of the way he's built. Yeah. And I just look at Xavier Leggett, and I think people are, think they're drafting Debo Samuel, and they're drafting LaVisca Chenault. Okay. And that like I, that's the worst feeling, right? When you get a player that you think is going to be like a game changer in right. your offense, a featured part of your offense, and he ends up just being this kind of like gadget guy that's, you know, a fourth or fifth receiver. So wait, what do you think of Pearsall? I like Pearsall a lot. Yeah. I think his his route running ability uh, really stood out at the Senior Bowl. I, I think the one thing that it worries I worry about with him compared to Lab McConkie is he doesn't necessarily have the, the gear that Lab McConkie does. I think Lab McConkie's faster. Uh, but but, but Pearsall's sneaky good after the catch. Because, I like Pearsall. Again, because of the I motor. Do. A uh, little like uh, Josh Reynolds ish, you know. Josh Reynolds on the line. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Yeah, I, I see a little bit of that. See, that's not a white guy for you, right? So <laughs> fair. You know. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, Wilson to me is just fascinating. Like he's a, it's the Joe Milton thing. Where, I like, just where are I don't you putting know him? Whether or not What's his position? Like, what I, if you used him as like a big Z and just I, sent him over the middle? I think the idea of Johnny Wilson's a lot better than what he currently yeah, is. It's Joe Milton. And that can that that those types of players always terrify me because you have to develop you have to be really good at developing. You have to have a plan for him, but yeah, I get he's the wide receiver Joe Milton. I'll say that again. We're like I'm very interested by Johnny Wilson. I don't know whether or not he's good, and I don't necessarily think the Patriots should take him because they don't have the flexibility to right. figure out who he is. But he's six seven. He supposedly runs a high four four, low four five. The only thing he can't – and he moves really well for a guy his size, like laterally, he's quick. He just can't catch the football. Oh, oh, good. A receiver no, that but, can't but let me catch rephrase the football. That. That's exactly he's what really good at, let me. But it's not even that. He's really good at contested catches. At the catch point, when there's a corner there, he's excellent. He always catches it. But if he's running like a five-yard in cut and the corner loses him, and it doesn't just bounce off his hands, it goes up in the air, and then anything I can just, happen. So I feel I'm like that's coachable. I just – I've lost patience – with like 
the Mike Gesickis of the world. And I'm not saying that it's a perfect comp, but is he a receiver? Is he a tight end? No, he's a receiver. Johnny Wilson's a receiver. I don't think he's a tight end. He's a receiver. Okay, but he he's regardless, it's there's gonna it, he's gonna be like a big slot, which has overlap with a guy like Gasicki. And I'm not saying that like the Patriots are gonna. It's not about Gasicki. I think you can use I him just, as a Z. I just don't know how much you're gonna get out of that play. I That's think all. you use him as a Z and you send him over the middle because who's making a play on that guy over the middle? I, I don't know. Like I don't that guy, him. you, you I get just, him the ball in I'm, speed. I'm like fourth or fifth round with Johnny Wilson, and you have to have a plan. And we're getting, and we're, we're plan, getting played off. I like that. Pick. Yeah, yeah you, you, you've done enough with Johnny Wilson. No recency okay, bias. Okay, so we'll, uh, no recency bias. We'll start that next week, and we'll talk about the combine. See you then. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.